This is the joy of gaming. Welcome to the Joy of Gaming podcast. I am Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. And today we are here with a very special flashback episode where we are going to do something we have never done before. What is that, Jordan? It is, uh, well, technically you could say that on a lot of levels. It's uh, one thing we've never done, a 2015 Game of the Year award. Awesome. Uh, um, but also we're going to do a look back. Uh, this is an idea I'd had for a bit. I'd wanted to do like sort of a revisit of... Either our first, very first show, because the very first episode of The Joy of Gaming is our 2011 game of the year. Um, you know, now it's seven years on. It's three and a half, it's almost uh, three full years since we would have theoretically done this episode. We got, you know, life came up, it was pushed back, and, you know, by the time we got around to being able to do it, it was 20, it was March, and so we yeah. just didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, I always missed it. I, I don't like that there's that hole in the archive. And while this is going to be a very different show, just by virtue of how long it's been, I think it'll be interesting to see how our opinions on games change, because I know that I at least have a written list from the website, uh, which you can check out at thejoyofgaming.net, and, and, you know, that I, or thejoyofgeek.net, and I, I really enjoyed putting that list together back then, but how have games stuck with us? What do we look back and, on fondly, um... And another factor, too, is, you know, all of us have piles of shame, and all of us have games that we don't get to. I still have a couple games that I wish I'd played in, for tw from 2015. Um, that I'm I saw one or two. That I'm, yeah, yeah, that I'm still lamenting, um, not having gotten a chance to get around to yet. But, you know, it's amazing. There are big games that I've, like, holes that I've now filled in since then. So if we had talked about this in March of 2015, there would have been things I wouldn't have been able to reference that are now in my Game of the Year list. Um, so a lot does change. And with this size and scope of games, the way they are nowadays, take a look at any Assassin's Creed game um, or Red Dead 2 uh, as great examples, games take 60, 70 hours now. Um, and so it's very hard for even, you know, absolute professionals who do this all day, every day and nothing but this to play everything in a given year, let alone people that also have other jobs and are trying to do other things. So it's, it's cool that we now have some retrospect on this and can look back with a more complete view of, uh, sort of what was put out that year. Yeah. And I, and I think it's just even looking back, cause I know that there are games that have been my game of the year that at the time, I don't think I was wrong to pick them at all, but just looking back, the games that have stuck with me or that I continue to play till this day, there are titles where it's like they might have not even made my list that year, but certainly now I'm like, no, that probably is the like my game of that year when I think of it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, cool. Another little wrinkle, too, that I noticed as I was going through this, and I don't know how much this is going to come up, but episodic games really took off before 2015, but 2015 was a big big year for like Telltale and for, you know, Life is Strange and a couple other games that were released episodically. So we'll see how that sort of factors in um, to the to the equation of if they were all released in 2015 or not and if that matters, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I definitely knew this. I mean, book, my list back then that I wrote did have two episodic games on it. Yeah. Um, 
But I will say this, my, my number one game is uh, may not be the same that I would have picked back then, and I have that pick, so we'll com- I'll compare right. my list as I go. Excellent, but. excellent. Before we get to that, though, we're going to do what we always do. Um, we're going to talk about a couple game stories. There's not much going on right now. Now is more the time for games to be released rather than games to be announced. Um, however, there are a couple notable exceptions to that and some interesting things going on. Um, and uh, one of those big things is Smash. The other is BlizzCon. We'll talk about both of those. Then we're going to talk about the games that we've been playing now. Each of us have a couple to get through. Um, and then on to the main event, Game of the Year. Um, so without any further ado, Jordan, why don't you uh, kick it off and talk a little bit about the final Final Smash Direct. So, yes, Nintendo had its final big Direct, a 40-minute video uh, looking at all of the sort of last things they wanted to announce before Smash Ultimate comes out next month. Um, And if you look at the reaction online, it definitely left a lot of people cold, um, if not outright mad and angry. Um, The Grinch leak didn't help. (laughs) No, yeah, well, there was a big leak before that was just all these things. And, I mean, there are leaks for Smash going back to just um, Brawl or Melee. People love to look at the leaks and, and, you know, speculate, and people make all these fake leaks. And there was this very elaborate uh, – essentially what it was is if you've seen any of the Smash directs at this point, they have this long sort of a horizontal poster that's all the characters in the game sort of in a row. And every time they've revealed new characters since then, they've altered the art a little and added those characters into this tableau. Uh, there was this alleged leak of a very blurry version of this that allegedly had new characters on it, and people were, like, tracing the spaces and guesstimating who it probably was based on, like, the blurred colors. It was it was kind of crazy. Their position, a lot of work. It was called the Grinch leak because there was a <laughs> this is piece my favorite of part. promotional art for the new Grinch film that, according to people, didn't exist. So they were claiming that in order to have faked this leak someone would have also had to have faked this Grinch promotional art um, I don't know how that ever shook out I'm not super big on the Smash Brothers online community because I don't play it competitively but it was just kind of a ridiculous thing it promised all these characters um, Isaac from Golden Sun Shadow the Hedgehog is an Echo Fighter Banjo-Kazooie all the things people really want the, um, the what, chorus, rhythm, kids. Wait, chorus kids from Rhythm Heaven uh, that was sort of the red herring thrown in there to make it sound realistic because that's just the kind of weird thing Nintendo would do so it's like oh if it's got the chorus kids in it it's gotta be real because who could make that up yeah something like you know adding pr- the piranha plant as a playable character yeah I mean how, how could you even imagine how does the piranha plant move across the board one might wonder but uh, a lot of the stuff in the leak didn't end up being true. Uh, most of it didn't. In fact, a lot of people took umbrage. Not, I mean, I can't even blame Nintendo. They made this video. It probably took a while to make. But there was, like, a lot of the characters that people wanted to be playable were confirmed as either assist trophies or background characters, uh, you know, in some way showing that they weren't going to be in the game. Uh, it felt like an extra twist of the knife for them. Yeah, yeah. To me, I just think they went a little too hard too soon. Yeah, um, I agree. Now, granted, there's not – really, when you get down to it, there's not that many new characters in this game. I think purely new in terms of either not being an Echo Fighter, it's maybe seven or eight okay. new characters. All right. I mean, there are additional ones like Daisy as an Echo of Peach and uh, Richter as an, e- an Echo of Simon. But for the most part – now, the, the point was we're going to add all these characters in. We're going to bring back all of these old characters that haven't been in a game in one or two of them. Um, so they did that, and it is the biggest roster ever, so I mean, even just doing that, it's it's a huge game, it's got all, it's over 100 maps that could be played in multiple different configurations, all the, the different characters. The soundtrack is ludicrous, I've heard. Yeah, but uh, the problem was most all of these things got 
announced in earlier updates. So this one was left to kind of fill in a lot of the less exciting blanks, like menu settings and a few other details about modes. It did announce two characters. It announced Kin uh, from Street Fighter, which wasn't the most exciting just because, again, he's an Echo Fighter of Ryu, so he's not super different. And then it was announced that Incineroar was going to be in the game, which was a Gen 7 Pokemon, uh, which made sense. It was They're both characters that people kind of assumed would be there just based on what was already in the game and how they've traditionally added characters to Smash Brothers in the past, particularly with the Pokemon. I, I've heard some disdain uh, from, from people wishing that it was Decidueye instead. I mean, I would have preferred that because that was my starter. Yeah, I love Decidueye. Uh, you know, I mean, it being a starter Pokemon isn't a huge surprise. Uh, they don't always do that, but they've done it a couple of times before, so I'm, it's not a surprising pick. And it's a that wrestler. Kind of the, it's perfect to animate. It's, you know, Incineroar. That was kind of, yeah, just sort of the general, yeah, these are cool. These are nice things to be there, but they're not out and out exciting. I mean, I, I feel bad because at the same time they did announce um, the story mode, which does exist, which is a big thing after Smash 4 didn't have it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of my favorite things about um, Smash 3, I guess it was, the one with Subspace Emissary. Um, yeah. That was great for somebody like me who is not very good at Smash, doesn't spend the time to get very good at Smash, but I had something that I could sink my teeth into um, and, and really, you know, work out, try all the different characters, see how they, how they you know, work with one another. That was fun for me. And even though I didn't play it a ton, I loved that it was there. And when, this, when the new one came out, um, it was disappointing it didn't have a single player. I know that's not the point. Nobody really cares that much. Um, but... I'm really happy that this one does. Now, this goes back all the way to that original blurred out uh, title screen and the shot of what people thought said Spirits Mode, right? Yeah, and they were right. Yeah. Um, spirits are a thing that they've added to this game. And, you know, they sold it in that sort of corporate way where it's like, we wanted to have as many characters as possible in this game. So there's characters from hundreds of games with uh, all of their original qualities but it's really just like a collection of you know promo art they had lying around that they could turn into what are glorified stickers that they took trophies out for and you know people really like collecting trophies i always enjoyed them i especially enjoyed them i mean i enjoyed them more back in the days of melee where it would have a bunch of trophies for japanese nintendo games that i'd never heard of mm -hmm. and it was cool to learn about nowadays it was a little more just sort of you know a throw-in but it was fun to have a collectible now it's these stickers that you can level up and equip to your characters, and you can equip the spirits to the other spirits to power them up, and it's just sort of a weird system. Well, we'll it's see the sort how of it thing... shakes out, right? No, I mean, it's just the sort of thing fighting game fans don't really care about. Uh, you know, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, or whichever way it was. Tekken Cross Street Fighter? No, I think you had it right. Whichever, yeah, the, the one that came out, because the other one hasn't. You know, no one was, like, crazy about the jewel system in that. Uh, you know, fighting games like fighting game fans like their games to be about the skill level. Yeah, and consistency. Um, they, for example, the the most maligned thing ever in any Smash game, right, is the the items that can trip you up randomly because it's like the least competitive element ever. Well, it's not even items; it's just you can randomly trip in Brawl. Oh God. Yeah. Um, the big thing I would say is that. To me, I'm glad there is a story mode. It seems like it's it's not going to be Subspace Emissary. It's not going to be running around levels, which were never the most... I mean, I like Subspace Emissary, but they were, like, very bland levels anyway. Um, in this, it's more... It's got a big world map. There'll be some puzzling with you, like, running around. And it's more that you'll take on missions that will have different set conditions. So the idea of the spirits is that 
they'll imbue a character with elements of that character. So if you put a – there's one character that you'll fight that has the um, Lakitu sticker or spirit on it. And Lakitu is known for throwing the red spiny shells in Mario. So in this one, the fighter that has this is joined by like several tiny red Bowsers to fight alongside of it. So they're trying to like thematically make these missions. There is a story. It op- like the, the video uh, – the direct ended with a video of Kirby – escaping as everyone else was sort of turned into statues and spirits and he kind of has to go around the world and save everybody fight everyone there's probably gonna be cutscenes. there's gonna be boss fights it'll be robust enough yeah um, and I, i'm looking forward to trying it out because even if i mean again even if it was just kirby fighting everyone in a altered state there's 75 characters it's gonna be a pretty big uh campaign yeah yeah um, uh but no i mean just generally People, I mean, Smash fans are insatiable. They always want more, more, more. You know, Sakurai gave them Ridley finally, and he's giving them every character in one game and basically every stage there's ever been. And you can make them, uh, you can turn off stage obstacles this time around. It's like he he keeps trying. They're never going to be satisfied, and it's kind of unfortunate. Well, you know, I think that all, all things being equal, they did about as good a job planning this game, pitching this game, and executing on this game. It looks like, from what everybody can see... Uh, with one exception, I think you nailed it from the beginning, and that was they kind of messed up the release spread on these characters. This final direct should have had some oomph left. Like, save R- Ridley for this, you know? Or uh, is it Rip- Ripley or Rip- Rid- Ridley? I Rid- think it was a mi- – I mean – I mean, save just- something, you know? There was nothing saved, really. Nobody really? cares about Echo Fighters and Incineroar. I don't know. Just kind of looking at it, to me, no one they added – Outside of – no, I mean really they added characters people wanted. I mean looking at the spread, the I mean everyone really, Isabel, Ridley, King K. Rule, uh, Richter, and Simon, these are all characters people have wanted from the beginning. And so it was really exciting to get them early. Now, I think they could have done themselves better by saving maybe Ridley or Simon till the end. Yeah. Uh, just because Incineroar isn't a classic character and Kin's just an Echo Fighter. It, there, there wasn't like that oomph because the only other thing that got announced was Piranha Plant as the uh, free <laughs> DLC character if you buy the game early. Now, is that – now, here's the question, and I think I know the answer. It, he's one of the five, not a sixth DLC character. He is a sixth. Ah, okay. Cool. Now, the other news that has come out since then from Twitter is Sakurai said that unlike the previous game – where DLC was like voted on and people could throw in and they could really vote and they could try to get them as much as possible that way. Uh, all the DLC characters at this point have been picked. It came down to people bringing character ideas to him internally and him trying to figure out a character around it. So they know what all five DLC characters are already. Okay. Now, do you think, just judging from history and and going and looking forward about and also the the fact that this game is calling itself Ultimate, do you think it will end with these five or six DLC characters, or do you think they'll go on after that? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I think Nintendo and DLC are still weird. Um, there's there's like, you know, big pushes at first, then nothing for years. And then randomly Mario Kart 8 will get a, uh, you know, Breath of the Wild tunic for Link as DLC. <laughs> and people will keep hearing rumors that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is going to get new DLC. It's going to get new stuff. Mario Party might get DLC. But Nintendo's tricky. If, you know, if I didn't think the Switch was going to go on for 10 more years before they, you know, do anything beyond updating that, maybe I'd think they would uh, stop with this. But I think this game is going to be the Smash game for a long time. Yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, now the release window is through 2020. February of 2020 is when they say by, by then is when all the DLC will be out. Beyond that, maybe, but I don't know. I, I think this is already a pretty massive game, and, you know, it being at 80 characters is going to be pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see what those five DLC characters turn out to be. I'm sure there'll be at least one or two fan-favorite surprises in there. Um, I mean, yeah, theoretically, yeah. yeah, there are characters like everyone wants Waluigi. They want Isaac. They want Gino from Super Mario RPG. Uh, and it, it could be a matter of, of giving people what they want or picking – I mean, really, at this point, there's so few characters left that wouldn't be obscure anyway. Yeah. Um. And, and, you know, I think another thing they said is they developed, started developing this so early that a lot of characters that premiered in the past year or so weren't possible. Um, so, you know, there is the possibility it'll be someone like the one of the ARMS characters as a DLC mm-hmm. because they couldn't develop it in time for this. Right. So who knows? Cool. But, uh, yeah, fans for this were pretty crappy in their response to getting everything they wanted. Uh, what are there any other news stories where fans <laughs> reacted with a, a disproportionate amount of rage? Yes, there are. In fact, it's funny you should ask. So, uh, in I believe Texas is that where BlizzCon is? Is it BlizzCon Texas? I believe it's in Texas. Anyway, BlizzCon is a huge deal, um, and every year Blizzard's biggest fans all assemble for this huge event um and it's to celebrate all their franchises and blizzard has tons of franchises right they have world of warcraft which is goes without saying how huge that is and how rabid the fan base is um they have um diablo um they have starcraft you know, starcraft again right huge franchises they have hearthstone um they're overwatch. A, overwatch oh wow i forgot oh my god they're huge, right? That's why they could have a convention. Right. I mean, they are really ridiculously huge. Supposedly, they have themed bars. Like, you go from the Hearthstone bar to the some other bar to the... Anyway, um, it's pretty cool. It'd be cool. If you're if you're a hardcore Died in the Wool Blizzard fan, which I am not, I could totally see that being, you know, Nirvana. Um in Anaheim. Okay. Wow. Interesting. I th- I, all right. Anyway, BlizzCon 2018 in Anaheim this year. So, um, the big... But, okay, let me, let me preface this by saying that before um, BlizzCon happened... Um, Blizzard came out online and said, hey, um, evil things come to those who wait. We're working on a number of Diablo projects um, and, and, you know, just be patient, essentially. Um, And whatever people interpreted that to be, in retrospect, it kind of looks like they were trying to temper expectations with that comment, but it certainly didn't work because they ended the show with their new Diablo announcement. And it turns out that rather than being Diablo 4 or any new Diablo on PC, which is what every rabid Blizzard fan <coughs> wants, it is Diablo, what is it called? Immortal. Diablo Immortal. Joining this year's theme of infinite, eternal, you know, subtitling. Right. So Diablo Immortal, and it is a cell phone game. It is a mobile game. Not only that, but it's primarily developed by a Chinese mobile developer with apparently a pretty shoddy track record of making, you know, subpar games, um, cash grabby, not really well-made games. Now, I, I, I've just heard people say that I haven't done my own research on that and I don't play much mobile except that I have a disdain in general for mobile gaming for the most part. Um, but the needless to say, after this whole crowd had worked up to a fever pitch of a crescendo of, of, of hype and, and anticipation, to find out that the new Diablo, essentially the quote new Diablo, is a mobile game not even really made by Blizzard, people lost their minds. And one of the culminations of that was 
some, you know, wide-eyed young man got up on stage or got up on the microphone at the Q&A. And asked, wide-eyed makes him sound like it, like he did something innocent. <laughs> he was a dick. Let's not let's not paint him as not a huge jerk to get up on stage. And uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, he was a pretty big jerk. Uh, but he gets up there and he goes, um, uh, "Is this a uh, is this an April an out of season April Fool's prank? Are you guys serious?" And like apparently that just like made rounds on the internet. Everybody was like, "Hell yeah, we're so mad!" And it's just it's been raging and raging. And then um, I was actually just listening to um, Kotaku's split screen before uh, recording, and they were talking about how Jason Schreier also had a, um, you know, like a story that he put out about how apparently Diablo on PC was originally going to be uh, discussed or announced at BlizzCon this year, but then they pulled it or decided not to do it. Since then, Blizzard put out another statement saying, no, it was never going to be at BlizzCon. And then supposedly Jason Schreier says that, well, now with now their official stance is we were thinking about announcing it before BlizzCon. That's like, it's semantics. Essentially, what it comes down to is Schreier says he can confirm that Diablo PC is coming out. It's being worked on, excuse me, is being worked on currently um, internally. Yeah, but... I mean, even by even by that story's standards, it was like a, you know, Elder Scrolls Six type of thing to be like, yes, we are making it. If you want us, if you need us to confirm it, sort of thing. It didn't seem. It's not like they were going to show footage or anything. Oh, not at all. No, I'm just pointing out that for anybody that wants to know, they are making that game. It's like like many sources have confirmed it's being made. So it's not a matter of it not being made. It's a matter of Blizzard not officially saying that it exists. And there's a lot of different possible reasons for that. Um, you know, for better or for worse, um, Bethesda doing that whole thing where they're like, hey, this year you're getting a game that's not quite what you thought you wanted. It may be awesome, but it's certainly not what you think you want, um, Fallout 76. So we're going to also tell you about Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six that are coming out in the future. Um, I mean, was, even more. Go ahead. Or no, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was probably a smart move. It's got downsides, surely. Well, to me, it's you can – I was going to bring up um, Bethesda as well because – you know, Blizzard has said, you know, there have been articles where it's like Blizzard did not expect this negative a reaction to this announcement. Um, and, you know, I think that's fair because, you know, go back six months to E3, Bethesda did the same thing. And they announced what? Uh, Skyrim or they announced Elder Scrolls Mobile. Mm-hmm. Yep. They and did exactly that. It's called Blades. It landed with a dull thud. It's called Blades, right? But people weren't like loot. Now, granted, yes, they did say the words "we're making Elder Scrolls 6, but it's still not coming out for probably like three or four years. It's definitely next gen. I mean, you know, um, whatever that ends up being. No, you're absolutely right. But that's the question: was that the better move? Probably. You know, probably. I mean, really, the better move is for the fans. Not. I mean, to me, it's like. And granted, maybe they're just a little sore that they're the franchise that got the most neglected. If you're going to feel that way, but it's not like they're. It's not like Blizzard went. Because a lot of people are like, oh, no, Blizzard's just going to be chasing that mobile money now, and they're not going to care about real gamers anymore. When it's like every other product they announce is like, we're remaking Warcraft 3, right. and we finally have WoW Classic coming out that people want for some reason. And here's some new Overwatch stuff, and we got the Overwatch World. I mean, it's not like Blizzard's – like they're not even making the thing if they outsourced it. Then the other question becomes maybe it was just a matter of very bad job marketing it very bad job leading up to this as the final announcement act expecting this to be a big bang at the end when Warcraft 3 easily could have been that big bang um and 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 that may have just been a really bad move on their part to to say and we got one more thing it's going to blow your mind you know and, and you got to understand that people that 
are going to that event. I mean, it costs money to go there. You know, it this is their event of the year for many people. Well, they sure. go and they're all hyped and they're in the audience and they're so pumped and it's the final announcement and blam, essentially I could see somebody thinking they're shitting all over my franchise and that's my big exciting announcement after spending $1000 to be here. You know, so I get why people are pissed, but the 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 response is astronomically out of proportion. Yeah, now I mean, look, I'm a Diablo fan. I don't want to touch this thing, but at the same right. time, to me it's like Diablo is a game built around like building your character mid you and then I don't want to say fully autopiloting, but it is just kind of clicking. Like you, you could take Diablo three and put it on a high powered phone without, I think, compromising it too terribly. No. So I think Diablo and mobile makes sense. Like I get why their head would go to this place. Yeah. For me, the main reason I never play mobile, there's two reasons. One controls. I, I mainly, I mainly like to play games that have direct control and you can't direct control on a, on a iPhone or, or a Android. And number two, microtransactions um essentially this game will easily is guaranteed to have both um so you know it's it on both fronts it loses out for me but you're right it is more automated of games you know essentially you're just moving in a direction and holding a button i mean uh, when it was a pc game you, you're holding a mouse button mainly right yeah so to attack and then and then i mean it's now these f keys like one of the biggest releases last week was putting diablo on a mobile console so because it's on the Switch now. And then that was another thing that, that used to remind me. Another thing a Blizzard took heat for, right when that kid said, is this a prank? They were just like, but uh, there's some guy at Blizzard goes, does nobody here own a mobile phone? Yeah. And then another guy said, hey, it's on Switch. You know, so anyway. I mean, it's whatever. It's just an astronomically out of proportion. It's just typical gamers getting ridiculously overexcited about. I mean, we live in, I keep saying this, I can't stress it enough, we live in the best time ever to be a gamer, bar none, times 10. Because you can play everything that ever was released in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, plus all the best games that have ever been made are coming out, you know, every year. So there's never been a better time to be a gamer. And I think you and I have the perspective of remembering that, okay, we have to wait for Elder Scrolls Six. Um, four years, five years, but every one of those years is going to have five or six phenomenal games that are going to blow our minds. And then Elder Six, Elder Scrolls Six, will be available, and it'll be like, oh wait, what's this? It just popped up. You know it, that that, and I think that comes from being a gamer for a long time and and, and understanding that you know there's going to be games that blow your mind every year, and eventually, if you're patient, you'll get the best game. And also that phenomenon, one of the reasons Blizzard is Blizzard and Valve is Valve. Um, is because they don't do what Bioware did and put out Andromeda. If Andromeda wasn't done, it would not have gotten released, period. And that's how they are. Um, the v Overwatch in, in and of itself was a byproduct of a game that wasn't right. So they repurposed it. Now it's, you know, maybe one of the most successful shooters of all time. Um, they only release stuff when it's ready and when it's right. And if that infuriates people, that infuriates people. I think it was a poorly marketed situation um, and dramatic overreaction by fans, you know? Yeah. But, you know, uh, it is unfortunate. But, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of good stuff out of BlizzCon. Like we said, Warcraft 3 Reforged, the WoW classic uh, beta was released, so people were getting in on that. Um, How about you such as, an... as a... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, oh, as an Overwatch fan? Yeah. No, I'm excited about Ash. I think it's cool. It's always cool when they announce a new character. They. It was interesting because they've come out since then and talked about how this year became so much more about balancing still trying to give new stuff but also they did big reworks on symmetra and torbjorn and have had a lot of other 
uh, tweaks to characters that it did sort of become the bigger focus, whereas the seasonal events fell behind a little bit in terms of getting new stuff. Mm. I was glad to hear them come out and say that because, yeah, it has been a little dull because a lot of the stuff has been repetitive past years, even with cool skins. So hopefully next year, uh, they've already said Winter Wonderland is going to be pretty much the same situation, but hopefully next year we can get cooler things for the events again. But the new character is always exciting. Uh, we had a new map recently. Busan's a lot of fun. I finally got to play it during the Halloween event. Uh, and they basically said they're in development on four to six other characters at the moment. Awesome. So it'll hopefully be more soon. Yeah. I mean, it's just that game's chugging along and, and, and continues to do well. That's a game that's just going to go the distance. It's clear. Um, especially with – anyway, not, enough said about that. Everybody knows what Overwatch is. Um, yeah. But that's exciting. That's definitely exciting. Cool. Um, are we done with news? Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to what we've been playing. Um, do you have any? What, what's your? Is is yours like a big one? Or what? I know you said you had one main game you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, two, but one we kind of share. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, why don't you literally. Start? The first game is one I've been waiting for since it got announced to be coming to the Switch uh, as a port. Uh, because I've wanted to play it for years. I got it when it was re-released on PC, but my computer was not powerful enough to run it at the time. Right. So I tried playing it on my fiance's computer, but that was a hassle. And then now it could run on my computer, but you know, that fire when it was first re-released, it sort of fell away. So I didn't get as into it. Uh, and then it was coming to switch and I was like, switch is the perfect system for this type of game. Uh, and they released it appropriately on the Day of the Dead, Grim Fandango came awesome. to Switch. Awesome. And I'm very, very much into that game. I'm a huge fan of LucasArts uh, point-and-click games, even beyond the fact that I'm a huge adventure game fan and love playing them and getting them. Um, and this is a big one. This is very frequently referred to as, is always in the conversation as either one of or the best LucasArts adventure game. Yeah. You know, the last one they did. Um, it's one of Tim Schafer's masterpieces, and it's all about uh, Manny Calavera, who is a Grim Reaper, more or less, who helps people move on from the <clears throat> living world and, and start the path to their afterlife. Uh, and he kind of runs sort of like an insurance salesman where he's selling them packages based on how good they were in life. He gets swept up in this conspiracy where he finds out people aren't getting what they deserve, and so it becomes this four-year journey. Each chapter of the game is one of the years, and it takes place on the same day. <clears throat> and uh, it's about him trying to save someone whose soul he realized was treated unfairly. He's sort of trying to find her while all these other events are conspiring around him. And it's very uh, inspired by Day of the Dead. It's very heavily inspired by film noir, especially in its second year once you get past the first one. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing. Can I tell you – can I interrupt really quick? So yeah. I've had about three false starts on this game, and it's always trying to get through that first year. I've played the first part of the first year up through where you break into that little, like, area and you glob it up with glue or whatever with the balloons. Yeah. I've gotten through that part, like, three times, and then I always fall off of it, not because it's not a good game, but because something else grabs my attention, and the story at that point hasn't gripped me yet. Do I need to just hang on a little longer? Is that the problem? I would say, yeah, plow through the first year, because the first year is really the tutorial area, almost. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's all about sort of – because – and he talks about it. What's really cool is the remastered version has a commentary that you can play. I've, and I've it's, checked It's almost never bit. spoiler. Yeah. So, so it's really nice for that reason. But <clears throat> year one is like – they talk about how – and if you look on Wikipedia, it shows the same thing. 
it starts with narratively or linear puzzles where you have to solve them in a specific order. And then it sort of branches out to ones you can solve in different orders. And there might be slightly different dialogue depending on the order you do stuff. <clears throat> and it gets more complex. And throughout the first year, as you're making your way to Rubikawa, it's all about that and, and a much simpler setting and simpler puzzles that are more, you know, one or two screen big. Um, and really just sort of about who he was at the beginning of the game. When you open year two, and this isn't a major spoiler, it's yeah. not that much of the game, especially if you, you kind of just go through it. He's settled in this town waiting for the woman he's looking for to arrive because they were able to get there ahead of her, in theory. Uh, and he has taken over this place. He's turned it into a casino. He's sort of a character in town. There's mobsters. Uh, there's love triangles going on. Ooh, it sounds and interesting. You suddenly go from having one or two screens to having the entire city open up to explore. You have multiple objectives. It's very heavily inspired by Casablanca. Uh, you know, he's a club owner wait, you know, waiting for someone to, for a woman to walk in yeah. for the first time in a long time. Of all and, the gin joints. Yep. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. I've been working on that for the past couple of nights. I've been playing like an hour or so every night before bed. Um, no, no spoilers, going, no guides. I will look for some things. And, and a big part of that is the 3D game engine, uh, point-and-click yeah, point games from the 90s. LucasArts was always the best because they were they basically had a motto of you can't die. Yeah. Um, or or so, like those King's Quest games where you could get to like the fourth chapter, realize because you didn't pick up a certain item, your game is fucked. Like that yes. doesn't happen, thank God. No, in this, yeah, it always kind of keeps you where you need to be and you always are able to figure stuff out and, and make it work. Um but some puzzles are just, you know, straight up obtuse or they're a little finicky. I've had some things where it's like I had the right idea mm -hmm. and I tried it a time or two where uh, – and this is a very simple one. It was like I had to lock someone up and I was like, oh, I'll put my scythe through the door and block them. And I kept trying to do it, but they'd, they'd come out and it ended up just being that I wasn't doing it fast enough because I looked it up and that was the answer. Oh, Oh, well. So sometimes there's little finicky things. I mean, it is a 20-year-old game. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, it's going to yeah. have some age. With the one about the balloons and stuff, like, I knew what I had to do theoretically, but then going there and executing that and figuring out the order of how you have to do it and how to get the guy to respawn to reset the puzzle, like, I didn't know how to do that. And that's what the guide showed me. So I, I just hope that it's not always like that. I hope there's going to be some intuitive parts. No, there are a lot of things where it does – now, sometimes I will uh, – yeah, I'll spend a lot of time. I haven't, I haven't felt like I've had to look up a lot, and when I have had to look it up, it's, it's really – it's almost like a teachable moment where I can understand a way the game wants me to interact with it that I wasn't thinking of. And then I'll feel like, ah, maybe if I'd thought of it this way. And that's helped me with future puzzles. Um, so – but yeah, with those older ones that don't have a built-in hint system or anything, I don't know if it feels bad if I have to look something up, but I do take my time figuring it out first. Mm -hmm. um, and what's nice about the second chapter, and I'm assuming the third and the fourth after it, uh, is that it opens up so much that there's multiple objectives and multiple things you can go do. And sometimes just going to work on something else will let you think about the other thing or you'll find something that will help you solve the other puzzle. Nice. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I've You know, Secret of Monkey Island is one of my favorite games. I always like playing adventure games. And while I love the Telltale uh, don't nod model that has become popular with episodic games. I mean, I like that. Not not the obviously the the work culture that we talked about last time, but <laughs> right. the the result of like the more narrative focused. I missed having just puzzles, and I feel like 
I don't like those kind of games on console because you have to dedicate so hard to them and, and kind of similar with I, I don't play anything on PC except adventure games because you kind of have to. But I think the Switch is perfect for them. And I, I know there's other ones on there. I never did play Broken Age, and that's fully on there there's now as well. Full Throttle, I think, is on there, is it? I don't know if it's on there yet, but it probably is coming because I know yeah. they did a remaster. But yeah, there's there's a lot of point-and-click games. The biggest issue is just that there's a lot of them that I bought on PC or somewhere else where I'm like, I know I'm never going to play it on that, but it feels weird to buy it again. Yeah. Uh, Grim Fandango was the exception because, like, no, no, I was waiting for this. It wasn't that expensive, and I'm never going to play it on my computer. So Yeah, yeah. Now, Grim Fandango is one of those games that people always talk about is just, you know, a must-play game, one of the greatest game worlds ever created. So the characters are just so unique and original. I mean, it's one of the things that put Tim Schafer on the map as, you know, one of the auteurs, top 10 auteurs of, of game design and development, you know, of the past 20, 30 years. So, I mean, it's clearly a classic and has been proven time and again to have been a classic. I'm glad I have a new sort of angle to look at it from to try to get into it again because it really has bounced me three times. So no, I think it was PS Plus at one point, and people that do what I do and they always download, you know, whatever the PS Plus games are, even if you're not going to play them at that moment, you, sh- you could go back through your library and see, and you might already have this game unlocked um, for PlayStation. Um, but whether yeah. you play it on there or Switch, it's going to be a good experience. No, I think it's also just very interesting to hear Tim Schafer, obviously is known as an auteur and this comes it comes through a lot he talks a lot about the influences on things you know casablanca on the waterfront you know the other staff members because it's not just him there's like a bunch of people from the team they they, they're one of the stories i heard he talked about they just he would be like let's have a movie day and they would just go watch like at one of the local theaters one of these old movies and like use it as inspiration and the the theme and the stuff that was it's just really interesting and i'm glad to finally be playing it Awesome. Uh, because it is a classic. Well, you've always been a huge adventure game fan, um, so this is this is not surprising that you're that you're really enjoying that. Cool, very very cool. Switch opening up new doors once again. Yeah, very very cool. So my um, my smaller game is uh, one that I've been playing. I've actually been uh, sick for the last couple days. I'm just better now, thankfully for our. That's good. Just in time for the 2015 Game of the Year awards. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have been playing a portable game because I just didn't, and I just haven't wanted, just not feeling well, haven't wanted to go into these big worlds on the TV. I've been wanting to just, you know, crouch around with my 3DS, or in this case, my 2DS, because I really enjoy that, actually. Mm-hmm. I have this really beautiful one I got on Black Friday last year. It's a, a green um, Legend of Zelda. Uh, it was packed in with uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, and it's just, which is funny, because it's 2D as hell <laughs> on this system, <laughs> but it's green, and it has a little brown stylus, and it's just, it's beautiful. Anyway, so I'm playing yokai watch 2 i finally found and it's really hard to find psychic specters because if you're gonna play yokai watch 2 at this point it did that pokemon thing where it's like you know like red and was it red and blue and then yellow yeah so red and blue came out but once yellow was out like you kind of want to play yellow at least i did um and and it's like that with yokai as well because it's you know in many ways a blatant um you know gotcha game slash pokemon ripoff um Mm -hmm. and it essentially has two versions, Bony Spirits and Fleshy Souls, and then a third version called Psychic Specters, which combines most of the content from both games and is definitely the definitive version. So that's the one that I've been playing. Um, And it's really fun. I've got about 12 hours in, 12 or 14 hours. I'm really enjoying it, although I will say it's very similar to the first game. So I would would absolutely invite people to skip the first game entirely and just play the second one, because it's probably better. I'm not liking it as much, because it's not my first time with something that's very similar um but i think if you're going to play just one of them the second one's probably better because it's more expansive it's got a time travel plot back in time 
Um, but, you know, you're collecting the same yokai that you had to befriend before. And the thing about Yokai Watch that's unique, and I've told you about this a little before, but just as a reminder, essentially the battle system, some, it bounces off some people because what you have are six yokai that are equipped on your medallion at once or whatever it is, your, your watch. And there, there is basically three slots in the front and three in the back, and it rotates. So what you'll do is you'll, you'll position six yokai, and where they're positioned next to each other has a small bonus effect, but essentially you put them where you want to put them. Maybe a healer in the middle of your front line and then two big fighters on each side, and then in the back maybe you'll have a tank for when you want to flip it around. And, and there's some different things you can do, but essentially you don't fight. You don't execute moves. You just pick which yokai are going to fight, and then they basically just like real-time strategy or whatever, they just start fighting, and then you have to sort of micromanage aspects. So you decide if they execute their super move. If any of them get like a spell on them, you can purify them and get that spell off of them. If they need to be healed, you can heal them. But they ba the game basically plays itself, so it's a very different experience. And then when you're fighting other yokai, like in Pokemon, you fight other Pokemon with your Pokemon, well, you actually, in, to befriend in this game, you don't use a Pokeball when they're down on health. You throw a piece of food at them, um, and every yokai likes a different kind of food, and there's, you know, 50 different types of food and different degrees of food and whatever. But, you, of course, you use a guide. You find out what they like, and you throw that food at them. They eat it. If there's a little heart, they like it, and then maybe they'll be your friend at the end. You collect a team, rinse and repeat. It's pretty fun, pretty repetitive, but pretty fun. But I've been enjoying it, and uh, I just I would have to say Yokai Watch continues to be a, a fun game to play and, and one you should check out being a Pokemon fan, man. I mean, it is. It's always been on my list of interest. Um, so it's not, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I probably will eventually. It's just, <laughs> you'll love I, it when you do, you know it. You, you know, the thing is Pokemon's been pretty rare. Like Pokemon's coming out in less than a week now. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, excited. I'm excited. <clears throat> I hope it's, I hope it has the ability to have depth. Like I get it that it's a light experience. I get it that it's, it's aimed to bring in, you know, new fans and younger players, but I just hope there's a way to make it also fun for us. You know, I mean, it seems like it is fully formed. They've had more videos. All the old player characters are going to be there. It has the Elite Four. You go get Mewtwo. I mean, Red and Blue in general is a slighter game just by virtue of not having all the extras. But I'm interested to see what they do. Yeah. it'll be. Are you going to get the one with the ball, I assume? Uh, No. No, oh, okay. You're not. You don't care that you you flick that ball to catch shit. It's only like another ten bucks or something. I think. I know, but that's not super exciting to me. Understood. Understood. Okay, I'm debating that. Although I probably won't either. Um, you know what I love on every system, and especially Switch, buying shit digitally. Can I just say, I love it. I would do it more if the Switch had more memory. Yeah, that's another problem. But you just have to download and, and, and delete, I guess. But yeah, you're right. But you can buy one of those those SD cards for pretty cheap nowadays. And when Black Friday comes, just saying. Yeah, that's true. It's about to be your favorite holiday of the year. That's probably changed by now, but that always was your favorite holiday. No, I still like it. Uh, <laughs> the deals so far haven't been super exciting. No? So No, Target hasn't been. Target was the one I saw. It hasn't like been exciting. Okay. I heard Walmart's deals are pretty good for what was leaked, but I haven't really gotten like they have a for people that care, they have an Xbox One X for three ninety nine, which is a two hundred dollar discount. That's pretty cool. Um if that's what you want, but I'm probably gonna wait for next gen for any of that stuff, so not for me. Right. Um, yeah, no, I feel you. justify it. Um anyway, so we do we have this next game in common? Is that what you were hinting at? Yeah, because we've been playing it together. <laughs> oh! Oh, oh, oh! Oh, I didn't realize that's what you were getting at. I thought you'd picked up Red Dead. 
Oh, no. No. Okay, well, I have to talk about Red Dead real quick then. Well, go ahead and do that. Okay. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Red Dead uh, 2, I've been playing a bit. I've played about five hours of it. So w- tell me, what has your sort of being plugged into the zeitgeist told you about this game so far? Uh, I guess people like it. <laughs> That's it? You haven't heard about how it's like really, really slow and yeah, really Yeah, no, plotting. no, I haven't seen that. A lot of a lot of people talking about how it's slower and definitely intentional. It seems to have a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mundane activities that mm-hmm. are meant to, I guess, enforce that life is mundane. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, it's everybody's playing it anyway because everybody's buying it anyway. I mean, the game sold. I think the last I heard, 17 million copies. Take Two is saying that they've sold into stores, even if 12 million of those or 15 million of those or 16, you know, have sold, that the game is a massive seller. So it's in everybody's house. But I think if it hadn't been, if this had been the first Red Dead, things would have been a, a bit different. Um, because this game is not what, like, Call of Duty Twitch shooter fans are looking for. Um, it is very different. This is a simulation experience in a lot of ways. You have to, you know, uh, really give in to this game on its own terms. You can't go to this game after playing Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey and expect it to be like a fast-paced shoot 'em up or slash 'em up um and and just run from activity to activity like leveling up. That is not this game. It doesn't have tra- traditional levels as such, and it's a game that really rewards slow play. So like for example, when you uh want to go somewhere you, in order to, to fast travel, you have to already have been there, which takes a long time to get there on horseback, by the way. And then you have to, um, at your camp, you have to level up, not your camp first, you have to level up your boss's camp first. Then you have the ability to level up your camp, and then you unlock a map that you unfold that lets you go to very specific places, one-way travel. And then from there, you have to travel back. And again, all of these decisions are very deliberate. The idea is they want you to be exploring the Wild West and seeing a little damsel in distress off to the right or a person that's kind of con somebody on the left you want to help or, you know, some dog that's being attacked, whatever it is. It's all about emergent gameplay. And there's all these little details that are just phenomenal. I'm about five hours in, so I haven't experienced that much of that yet. Um, But I will say that the controls are very clunky. Like, this game plays really clunky um just like all the grand theft auto games to me though i mean i've accidentally shot people twice just because the r r2 button has like five different context sensitive meanings depending on where you are um and i think all that stuff will hammer itself out as i've played it more but like your character doesn't run very fast if you're riding on a horse and you run over a dog by accident a big red print comes up and it says animal abuse and you and like you get a wanted level like, you got to be really deliberate about the way you play this game because this game, like, it's very rigid in its systems. And if you get a big bounty on your head, then, you you know, you have to pay that off or you're screwed in different towns. And, I mean, there's ways to work around it and you could put, a, like, a bandana over your face. But there's just a lot of limitations. It's not an arcadey sandbox game. It's a very different experience that I think you'll really enjoy once you do play it. Nothing about it sounds appealing in that very restrictive way. I've I found Rockstar's fetishization. They seem to fetishize the the like mundanity and the reality in their games a lot more these days. I've rankled against that ever since like Grand Theft Auto 4. It's why I like Saints Row so much. And I really enjoyed Red Dead. So I mean I definitely want to play this. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. just like 
it's hearing good, that it's such a slow starter that is, it is. more about play, making you play it the way it wants you to is a little bit of a turnoff. Yeah. It's just it's just that they want you have to go into the game expecting to change your the mood of gamer that you are at that moment. So like we're so used to playing all these Ubisoft, I'll call them Ubisoft style open world games, and this is an open world game, but it couldn't be further from that. I mean, yes, there are like a couple markers on the map. They're very different, they look very different, but essentially they're they're mission markers, but you could just walk into an area and something will trigger. You can go into another section and somebody will run out of the house screaming and you got to deal with it right then um you know your horse could die at any minute and that horse is just dead so it's just it wants to inconvenience you so you feel like you're this person i don't know yet how what my mileage is going to be on this game i i I think probably by the end because what most people say is by the end of the game after 65 to 70 plus hours you will be in love with this game you will think arthur morgan is the best character ever and you won't even believe the meticulousness with which rockstar crafted their world however Hours one through right. Hours one through fifteen are not going to be like fun, you know. So, um, Um, and being that I'm in hours, I'm you know five hours in. uh, I'm at that quote unquote unfun section. So we'll see. Rockstar is like the one developer that can get away with that. I know (laughs) one of the few. I know. Um, If word had gotten out that some other game was like that, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know. I just, man, everything I hear about it makes me want to play it less. Uh, I can't even red box it. Yeah, well, I thought that you, well, it was the last game you want to red box unless you just, I just to toe dip it. But You, you know, know what it is? Yeah. Uh, 15 hours is a long time when you don't get that much time to play games on the big TV and you have other games coming out next week that you can play more easily. Yeah. Uh, so it's just timing. It's yeah. It's just a matter of I don't know what I would have the time to just really sit down and play that properly. Maybe Christmas break. I mean, I don't have a break really. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have a break, but I'll be flying, so it's not like I'm going to have my Xbox with me. Right. 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 That's true. That's true. Anyway, it's a cool game. It's definitely, um, it's definitely an interesting one. It's definitely a huge surprise for a lot of people what this game actually ended up being and how much of a just a, a moonshot it is. I mean, it's the kind of game that has never been made before. It'll never be made again. Uh, maybe it will. I don't know. It depends on, you know, certain factors. But, I mean, it's just it's just one of those moments in gaming history that it is right now. And it is happening at this moment. And I, I will say, like, getting back to it when I've been sick, I've been like, oh, I don't know if I feel like going through that right now. It's so uh, taxing on the, on the, on the psyche. Anyway. Well. No, I mean, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it more, and I'm sure it'll have a place in the Game of the Year episode that we'll be doing in about two months. That's right. That's right. It's it's a, it's a happening. Anyway, so let's talk about the fun we have been having with another game that's also a sequel to a game we loved a lot. Yeah, and we mentioned it. it I, I think we came up with the idea on the last episode, and then we stuck to it. That's right. Uh, made it happen. Dead Space 3 together. It's been it's been fun. In, in honor of, of Halloween and in honor of co-op games in general and wanting to get to this game we have been playing it and um i gotta say it's uh it's it's different it's certainly very different it feels like dead space Mm -hmm. in in the aesthetic um and in some in like the way the the story is being told but it is definitely a more action heavy game and it it's you know that's what everyone said it's a co-op experience it's built to be more of an action shooter but i don't think it goes quite like Resident Evil 5 or 6 with it, which so far, which I, I appreciate. I, I do and I don't. I think the intro is is Resident Evil 5 or 6 level. 
um, the intro when you're running around shooting dudes instead of necromorphs and like we we did we 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 was aside from the suits we were in it was almost unrecognizable as a dead space game i mean fair enough you're in the space station <clears throat> city you're running through rooms that are like lit imagine that um you know there's there's goons after you there's this dude on the tv spouting nonsense that part's pretty pretty dead spacey but it isn't until about two hours in i'd say hour and a half in yeah. Um, that it, that you like launch off this thing or an explosion happens. The story has been hard to keep up with playing co-op. Um, but essentially you, you end up on this snow planet or right now we're not even on it yet. We're around the snow planet. Um, and, uh, and, but once you get to those corridor space station places, it feels a lot aesthetically like dead space did. Although the fact that it's so much, that it's more action focused for me has changed fundamentally the identity of Dead Space. I feel different about fighting necromorphs, and I feel different about stomping necromorphs, and I feel different about the experience of, of, of combat now that it's co-op. It's so fundamentally changes. Like, I think it's a, it's a good comparison point, because when you talk about Resident Evil 5 and 6, those games... They they still I'll use five as a great example. Forget six for this argument. Five. It still feels like Resident Evil 4's combat to me. Yes, it's a little bit more updated. Yes, you can do a little more. You're a little more mobile. But essentially, you still aim down the sights. You have this big clunky character, and and you have to shoot things that are coming at you. And even though it's co-op, it still feels like it has the same pacing and the same like mechanical feel. Whereas this game, I think changing the combat up like they have for the and and the enemy encounters and where the enemies come from and the way that the the triggering you know like when you walk past a line and it triggers a monster closet to open or whatever all that stuff feels very different unless i'm forgetting how dead space feels but i I feel like it just has a very different feel in that way i feel like i don't know when when i feel like maybe if we were playing on a harder difficulty Mm -hmm. or if we played because i i when we when was setting up options is like do you want to have a uh, co-op partner revive up? And I was like, yeah, that, that seems like a good thing to have. But then it was a matter of we get so much ammo and so many health packs and so much um, psi can- canisters. It's like our inventories are overflowing. Totally overflowing. Like with health packs, which is already sort of weird. And maybe that would be better on a higher difficulty. I don't know. But it is like we're just kind of always at full health. Like I think the biggest thing that takes us out is there's an enemy that can just give you in a, one or two hits or, that or, explodes. Oh, I was going to say that. Yeah, I thought you were talking about something else. Yeah, the exploding ones. And that is, that is the only time we've really died, um, except when we like messed up a mechanic on some puzzle, I think, at one point. But regardless of that, you're absolutely right. We were inundated with health packs and ammunition. And also, you noticed something very unique about the ammunition, didn't you? Uh, yeah, all of... The am all of the guns use the same ammo type, so it's it went to a Mass Effect two uh, system, um, where you just have like like remember that how it had everybody was kind of weirded out because it went to this system where instead of ammo they were all like a, like like psi powered guns or some kind of magic plasma something powered. like that yeah but, but what they had was air coolant cells and though and that was how they like worked it in the fiction that like when anyway it's like that. Um, yeah, so- this just has – there's no working in. It's just – well, I mean it's kind of worked in because the big thing with this game is that it's like building guns. So I guess it's just supposed to be a universal ammo, but it kind of takes away from the idea of one of the survival horror things of having to switch up. It's like, no, I just like using the 
uh, standard cutter, or no, I want to use the assault rifle. It, it, it kind of lets you use whatever gun you want. Right, and essentially, though, you have to because of the fact that you can make every weapon you want. So it, they would have had to fundamentally change the type of crafting and weapon crafting system, which is a lot of critics, as you pointed out, favorite part of this game is the weapon crafting system and all the options you have there and it is pretty robust although we haven't been able to experience very much of it because we're still early on in the game and we don't have a lot of the uh, components we need to make cool shit yeah but we're getting there um and i am enjoying it overall so far it's a very different experience but um i do wish it was a little harder but i i'm enjoying going through it it does seem like they're upping the number of enemies like we've definitely hit some gauntlet rooms at this point uh, which makes it a little more hectic. But again, when every enemy goes down in about five shots, but then they'll drop a clip with five shots, and you're already overflowing with ammo, it's like, you know... It's no longer a survival horror issue. game. It's no longer... I mean, it's only a survival horror... Or should I just say, it's survival horror only in as much as that now has defined, like, a feel of a genre and the the things you're doing as opposed to like the scarcity of ammo and supplies the feeling that you're you know about to face your doom all of that's pretty much lost on this game yeah now there people have said you know if you play it solo and you crank up the difficulty it can feel more classic but it's still fundamentally different um but you know it does some interesting things i don't know how good the story is going to be they randomly kind of over uh remaked one of his uh former love interest and, and rip, then, rip her out of his arms as well. She's now with then, a new man. Yeah, there's this whole weird love triangle. One of the cool things about oh, the yeah. game is that uh, because you're playing as two different characters, Isaac might see hallucinations that uh, the yeah, other character Carver. won't. Carver won't. Or Carver might get communiques from his bosses that Isaac won't see. And it's not even so much that they won't see him. The other player character might not even know. I was making all of these comments on a video I was seeing, and Rich was like, what are you talking about? Well, I was and, – and the reason it came to light so much is I was, like, fascinated by the fact that, like, Isaac's girl is in is with some other dude now. Like, I'm like – I was fixated on that. I'm like, that's fucked up. That's my girl. What's what's going on here? You know, just just because the first two games were so much about I forget her name, but let's say it's Elsa. Elsa, oh, I'm gonna get to you, Elsa. You're the love of my life. You're the only thing keeping me alive for two full games, at least as best I remember it. At least for the first game, and then all of a sudden she's just like, like there's a throwaway line where he's like, oh, so I guess you're with Norton now. She's like, yeah, Isaac. Sorry, I didn't tell you, but we need your help. You know, and I was like, oh, man, I want to know what's going on here. How did this how did this happen? This is a huge paradigm shift in, in what I understand about Dead Space's character dynamics, right? If I can go so far as to call it that or yeah. be so bold. Um, but all of it, but now you you saw a clip and you were like, oh, man, this guy is being a huge dick or dick. Well, I forget what the expression you used, but you're being like, a real being. He's like marking his territory. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um and, and, and apparently he was saying stuff in your ear like, yo, she's with me now, Isaac, so let's just get the job done and, like, stay off my girl or something, yeah, right? Um, pretty and I, much. And I was – as cool of a mechanic as it is and as cool as that is for replayability, I was kind of pissed. I want to see it. <laughs> I want to hear that clip. I want to see that guy doing his thing. Yeah. But no, overall, um, it's – it's I'm, I'm having a good time. It's nice to play a game together um, and I hope – it proves to be – it doesn't fall apart towards the end. has side missions. We did a side mission on the O'Greeley. Yeah, we did do one of those. SS O'Greeley. It was a little disorienting because we had trouble figuring out how to trigger the, like, waypoint thing for a minute. And then you're just out floating in space. Yeah. And you have to, like, go to your shuttle to then fly to other shuttles or to the surface. 
which again, we're still not at, but we're getting there. Yeah, once we sort of realize <clears throat> how the game is framed, it's like, like take that game Prey, for instance, and this does have a lot of like echoes of Prey, or Prey has echoes of it. Um, and, and when you're pr- playing Prey, eventually you understand like what the, the feel of this overall space station that you're on. And oh, if I go out, this porthole i'm here in relation to the rest of the space station and if i go back in here that connects to this place this way or if i need to get to that med station i know where it is to go back to it and eventually as you play that game you get that stuff but if you were to go back to prey uh, five months later to, to try to pick it up where you left off um um, then I think you'd be completely disoriented and probably have to start from scratch. And this starting this game and, and doing this stuff feels a lot like that when you're first coming to an experience and you got to feel out like, oh, so in this game, you've got to get in a little like pod and that pod is like your transport and it takes you like over to the side mission and then back from the side mission to this other main mission. And, and so it's, it's almost a little open worldy, but, but also not, it's interesting, a little Bioshocky in a way it's, it's neat. Yeah, no, I'm um, most. I'm just curious to see how it progresses because yeah. it's hard to uh, and once we get gauge it right. <clears throat> yeah, the guns are the big thing I think, just because we have so little to work with that you know we built a gun and then it it has zero pushback on it, <laughs> so it feels like you're shooting through the enemy even though it shouldn't. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it does hurt them and it will kill them if you shoot them a couple times, but it also had really low reload time or cooldown. So, so far for me, I've just been using the standard cutter. And if you want to feel, like, not powerful, I've got two two secrets for not feeling powerful with your gun. One, make it not have pushback. And two, make it reload really slow. Or not even reload slow, but have a ton of time. It also does that. But also have a ton of time between shots. Like, everything that, like, games have learned to make guns feel powerful, this does not have. Now, I hope that changes. But right now, it's I mean, bam! And it's like, did that hit him? Oh, yeah, the first two games did a great job of that, so I hopefully... I know, I know, that's the thing, too. That's why I say the combat feels very different. Again, though, part of that is there's two players experiencing it, so what one player sees has to be consistent for the other. And I assume that's probably part of why there's not as much of an effect on the monster. In fact, I'm sure that's why. Because if there was knockback on that monster, that would affect your shot more. And maybe in playtesting they realized, I don't know, just a conjecture. Yeah, no, it's 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 tough to say. But no, I mean, we'll have more to say on it in the future. Absolutely. I'm really enjoying playing it. Oh, we're so. going to get through it, man. That was It was really fun. we got to find some more time. Oh, and i got a headset now, so we don't have to Skype. Nice, nice. Yeah, I picked one up and uh, used it at GameStop. All right. Well, hey, I think that takes us to the Time Machine uh, segment. Yeah, that was one blast from the past, game-wise. So yeah. let's... Uh, Let's dive in. We're going to talk about our game of the year for 2015, uh, which has been a minute. Uh, What are the categories this year, Jordan? So this year we're going to – it's not going to be the full, full full-fledged. We're not going to have, you know, our bonus one and then every little permutation that we usually will do. But we're going to have a lot of the standards, the big ones. We're going to have, of course, our top three. We have our favorite character, our most surprising game, our most disappointing game, our worst game, and some honorable mentions. You know, I figure we probably have our list and can throw in some out there. The only other thing I thought would be interesting to note is uh, a game that we didn't get to play until later that we really ended up enjoying, whether it made our top three or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's going to come out in my list uh, uh, organically. Yeah. So – uh, I figure we'll st- yeah, structure it like we normally do and have our top three kind of split between the other categories. But, you know, start off strong with our number three pick. Okay. Well, this one was a tough one for me because my honorable mentions, which you'll hear later, um, 
are both arguably better games in in certain ways. So this was a balancing act between these three different games that I was that were all vying for spot number three. But in the end, Batman Arkham Knight edged it out. Okay, wow. For three, for spot three. And the re- no, no, still, I'm kind of surprised. Well, the reason it edged it out is because of how much I love Arkham games. Um, you you have to understand that to understand this pick, you have to realize that even the worst of the Arkham City trilogy, or even I think it's worse than Origins, even in a lot of ways. Even that being the case, it's still a phenomenal game. The combat is one of my favorite combat systems in any game, and the only and some of the only ones that come close directly ape the combat of this game. Um, that bouncing kinetic action has never felt better than in this game. It's phenomenal. Um, I love it. This is a huge sandbox to get to do what I love, which is play that combat over and over again. Um, the Batmobile, we were all really worried about it. It was a real accomplishment, um, you know, that they were able to figure out how to make a city that you could Batmobile through. When I heard that was what they were going to do as, like, their pillar of the third game, I was like, I don't know how they're going to pull that off. And they pulled it off. Unfortunately, they also shoehorned in a tremendous amount of Batmobile action segments, which, while not completely unenjoyable, um, really take you out of the Batman experience. Like, you're not supposed to be in a... That's always been... I mean, with with Arkham Knight especially, but but also with Arkham City, is that it's felt like as they've added more features, it's felt less like being Batman. Yeah, and more so than in City, I think because there was so much Batmobile content that it felt like I was doing that combat and those stealth sections so much less. The things that I really love. I mean, yeah, I still remember having to do the stealth sections in the Batmobile and and like that being a major boss fight, and it not being impossible, but being like. Not something I wanted to be doing. Yeah, no, the, the Batmobile segments are the weakest part. Again, though, I didn't hate them like some people Yeah, not them. terrible. They're still like shooting galleries, and I'll play an on-rail shooter any day. You know, they're not that bad. Um, and, and so, you know, I could I could deal with that. But I one thing is that Arkham games have really gotten right, I think, in the world of Assassin's Creed open world games and games like that, is they always have a perfect moderation. There's just enough content. I think Spider-Man got this year got this right as well. This is where this retrospect really comes in handy. Um, is where there's just enough content to give you the full Batman experience. The Riddler trophies are back, you know, right? I don't remember all the real details, but I know that, you know, there were all kinds of, you know, side missions, and there'd be five of each, you know, like five um, bombs you have to, you know, uh, disengage, or maybe ten, but a a manageable number where you felt like you were doing stuff that felt like a big enough expansive open world to give you like fun activities to tackle but not so many that you're paying playing for 80 to 100 hours to the exclusion of your life or other games and also getting to a point of repetition that really hurts the game which i think odyssey and origins eventually do get to that point where it's almost too long arkham games really nailed that pretty well also let's not forget the arkham um formula rocks um doing stealth missions rocks um predator missions whatever um doing the combat as i already mentioned is amazing traversing through indoor environments especially is amazing there's again less of that than there was in asylum which i think is both of our favorite um in that series right you still say asylum 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. no uh, origins all the way. Yeah, origins is not bad. I like. No, the, it's not. I like the, the detective segments. But I mean, this game as a whole, it, it's more of what I loved. Unfortunately, it added some stuff I don't love as much into it. Um, the story, I don't hate it like people hate it. Yes, they out and out lied about the reveal. Um, because they were kind of in a corner. I'm not saying it's okay that they did that, but at the end of even the day, internally, it's pretty heavily foreshadowed in a over the top way. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, it's not a huge surprise when it happens. Although it is kind of surprising when you see like the tactics that the Arkham Knight is employing, to, to, you, you almost think like this can't be. It can't be what I think it is because this is so brutal. Um, and then when they explain it, it's flimsy a bit, but whatever. It's Batman. It's awesome. Um, and you know, even the worst, either, either the third or fourth best Arkham City game is still an Arkham City game at the end of the day. Um, so it takes my number three spot above two other games, which again, in many ways, are better. But this was my third third best game of the year, no question. No, I think, and you know, if the that, that's what I think is important with this one is if the experience stands out that strongly to you this many years later, yeah. I think that should be where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, the thing. That is the thing. I remember this game. I remember being in that that one um, predator room when you're kind of trying to approach the Arkham Knight once he's been kind of revealed. I remember feeling emotions during that, whether they were, you know, whether that was earned by the story or not, I felt it. Um, so, you know, kudos to them for, for, for pulling a lot of that formula off really well in that game. Yeah. Um, and I'll say for me, similarly, this is a game that just time has aged better for my number three. Um, Because it was in my top five list that I wrote, but it was not in the top three. Uh, it was number four, but it's moved up just in terms of how I, how well I remember it. And even still, this many years later, um, I could go back to it and play it again from the beginning. Um, Assassin's Creed Syndicate is my oh, number three. Oh, man. Yeah. This is such an interesting game because it feels like... It feels like a lot of people, like, I've talked to a lot of people who just haven't played this one. Like, they, you know, they were burned out on Assassin's Creed. It was the year after Unity and Rogue. Unity fucked over Syndicate. Very, very much so, because Unity was a buggy mess, and however much they fixed it, I mean, I went back, after I played Syndicate, I played Unity, and it was still just not as good. It wasn't wasn't as engaging or or enthralling. Um, Character was really bland. Yeah. But Syndicate kind of was almost a back-to-basics approach uh, before they would completely change the playbook yeah. uh, with the next game. It's the but last real Assassin's Creed in, in, in a certain manner of thinking. In the in the traditional Assassin's Creed 2 sense. Yeah. Because uh, even Black Flag and Rogue are almost their own thing the way with all the ship combat. Right. Um, but Syndicate is just so good. It's such a great setting, Victorian London – um, it does a lot of little tweaks that make the game a lot more fun to play. You get the line launcher that essentially lets you scale buildings way faster and getting to play as the twins is just a lot of fun. I, I liked being able to switch and they each kind of, it, it kind of solved a problem that a lot of games have where you'll have open world games anyway, where it'll have these all these disparate narrative threads and it'd be like, well, shouldn't they be focusing? Isn't this the main story? And it would be like, yeah. Uh, Evie in that game was focused on the main story, whereas Jacob was like, no, I'm going to build up a gang and we're going to like run this town. And so it would have missions where you specifically had to play as one of them or they could be helping each other out. But it gave like two protagonists that each were working together but had different focuses in the narrative. And I really like that aspect of it. Um, and it had 
it just was fun. It was a fun world to explore. It had nice side missions. It minimized on a lot of the things that classic Assassin's Creed got dinged for, like the, you know, the tailing missions and the perfect stealth sections. Um, now you still had to do some of that stuff in, you know, the, um, uh, 100% DNA strand things, but, uh, it was overall just such a fun game. I remember actually really liking the story. I think it did a pretty solid job with the villain. I, I mean, Assassin's Creed has never really had great villains, no. but just sort of like, um, business tycoon magnate. He gets a lot of actually really well acted scenes that kind of show off his perspective. Um, yeah, I just I had a blast with Syndicate. I completed it. I kept going to it. My one regret is I haven't ever done the DLC because I heard that was good as well. But they, uh, you know, it's it was a uh, gold game recently, so I now have it. Um, That's at the top. That is absolutely at the top of my regret I haven't played list. That and Metal Gear Solid Five are the two at the very top. Um, and I'm really bummed about it because I went on and played Origins, and I'm almost worried I'm not going to be able to go back. And I hope I am. I really, really hope I am that it didn't ruin me. Origins and Odyssey didn't ruin me for my initial enjoyment of Syndicate because Victorian London was always my most dreamed of, aside from Japan. They're kind of neck and neck with where I most wanted to play an Assassin's Creed game set in. And unfortunately, I just didn't get around to it that year. And I'm so pissed at myself because I really want to play that game. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been three years. It's still the last Assassin's Creed I've played, barring messing around with one of the Chronicle games when it was free and never playing any of the other ones when they were free as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I need to play Origins and Odyssey at some point. I haven't yet, but Syndicate still stands in my mind as such a great Assassin's Creed game. And, uh, yeah, it's my number three game for the year. Awesome. All right, uh, what do we got next? Next up, and I'll roll on into this one, we're uh, going to look at our favorite character for the year 2015. Oh, this is going to be fun. All right. Uh, this one, for me, was kind of interesting because I had a lot of games that from this year that I don't think were super big on character or they were adaptations. You know, like Arkham Knight has a lot of characters, but I don't think of Batman as a video game character. Right. Um, however well written he may or may not be. Um but for me, this was kind of a toss-up because um, – I'm surprised I'm, there's not a very clear choice for you on this one. I'll, I'll be honest. I was trying to think which way to go with this because there is a character that I really liked and related to. But then there was also a character that I, I does define the game experience and I think of a lot. Um, but ultimately um, – yeah, I gotta go. This is gonna be such a weird one, I know, but the character stuck with me for three years. Uh, John Taylor from Black Ops Three. Okay, all right. Uh, I mean, I have no idea even what you're talking about, but let's talk. Played by Chris Maloney, he's sort of like the you know the big actor oh, in that he's game. The SVU dude. Yeah, the SVU dude. Um, he plays sort of the the leader of this futuristic unit. He's uh, he starts off seeming kind of unhinged. And then as the game goes on and you find out more and more about how the cybernetics and enhancements are affecting them mentally and how they kind of go off the grid. Um, I don't I'll be, I can honestly say I don't remember a lot of the specifics of the narrative of Black Ops three, but I do remember his performance. I remember how dedicated it was, how surprisingly intense he could be in all of the scenes throughout the story. And, you know, honestly, surprisingly funny because it, there's the entire, I want to say, second chapter of the game that is just him walking you through like a terrorist attack. And he keeps ta- saying, outcome, train goes boom. And he keeps saying that every time before this train explodes, whether you're in it or near it. <laughs> it's just I, such I, a quirky thing. I remember thing. playing that part. I remember that yeah. part. Yeah. 
Uh, it's actually a surprisingly well-acted game. Um, Katie Sackhoff is in it as well. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times Call of Duty does the big stunt casting. You know, they'll be like, oh, we've got uh, Kevin Spacey or we've got uh, Jon Snow. And, you know, not to say I haven't played those games. I don't know how good they are. But it felt like Chris Maloney is not someone you think of as a star git. No. Um, he's just a solid, reliable actor. He's and a journeyman he, actor. He's a character actor. He's a phenomenal, very talented, you know, go-to guy. But yeah, you're right. This is giving him an opportunity to stretch his legs in a way he doesn't often get to. Yeah, he brings a surprising amount of life and interest and character depth to what could just be a, you know, crazy rogue soldier character. Um, and yeah, like Black Ops 3 was a surprisingly good campaign, and he was a big reason why. So, uh... I, I could – but, like, honestly, it was a matter of – I could – I thought of Life of Strange characters. I thought of Tales from the Borderland characters. But I was like, the first character that came to mind for whatever reason was John Taylor. Right. And, yeah, that's, you that's go my with. pick. Well, mine is very in line with that, actually. Um, it is also a, a total left-field call. Maybe. You may not be as surprised as I think you're going to be. Um, mine is actually a toss-up between two characters. Um, but essentially, it's – it's you'll understand when I say it. Um, so it's essentially the cast – of until dawn um so josh washington was played by rami malik and mike monroe and no i to be in full disclosure i did not remember their names i remembered mike just the name mike i didn't remember it was mike monroe um and josh i might have now that i've heard it again i kind of remember that but i didn't know their last names that's for sure but rami malik played josh washington and guess who played mike monroe was it your boy brett dalton it was brett dalton you know it ward himself um and so that game was, you know, well, you know, that game is a, is a, was a huge surprise to me as to how good it was. But I think what really makes that game exceptional is its cast. Um, you want to talk about stunt casting? I mean, that game has it all when it comes to a cast. It's a phenomenal cast, front to back. I like every character in it. But the ones I remember the most are Matt, um, because Mike, excuse me, <laughs> um, because um, because of the fact that he was like out there in his tank top trying to save the world and he really like grounded this experience he was like the the guy that you know he's like the high school quarterback type that put in a tough situation would probably be the best in handling himself and and it turns out that's pretty much who he ends up being there aren't any huge surprises with his character but he's just a really solid force in that game um hayden panettieri is also in it she's probably the most famous person in it at least Famous at the time. Rami Malek's infinitely more famous now. Um, but she was good in it. I remember the character Jessica, I think. The one that I had trouble saving early on. If I remember her name was Jessica. She made a big impact on me. But Josh Washington, Rami Malek. I mean, the guy is such an obscure looking but yet handsome and charismatic actor in general. Love him in Mr. Robot. Will likely love him as Freddie Mercury in the new movie. And he made this game for me. Um, he and, and his character progression, which I won't ruin if anybody hasn't played until dawn, it's also a PS plus title. So if you haven't played it, like it's not too far after Halloween, do yourself a favor, um, and play it. Um, and he's really cool in that game. Um, and there's some really great twists and turns, but that whole cast is phenomenal. And I just remember them so vividly, um, very similar reasons as, uh, your reasons. No, that is also one of my big, probably, probably my biggest, just because I, I even the trial when I first got my PlayStation four. Um, and I just, 
haven't played it, never did get around to it. And, you know, a part of it is that it was such a game where I wanted to play it with a group of people because it, it has that sort of energy to it. But I would like to go back and play it. I just still haven't. But I liked what I played the first chapter or two of it. Yeah. Um, it's just I had so many PS4 games at the time because I went like overboard crazy when I got the PS4 and it was the one that was free. So I wasn't like I hadn't spent money on it. Yeah. You know how it is with that where it's like, well, it's free. I'm not feeling like I'm obligated to play it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I would definitely like to spend more time with that. Oh man. I mean, it doesn't take much time. It's an eight to 10 hour experience and it's, it's well, anyway, yes, it's great. All right. Well, next up is going to be your, uh, most surprising game. All right. So I got a fun one for this one. Um, and this is a game that, uh, surprised the heck out of me that I liked it as much as I did. Um, and it's a game that, so the toys to life genre, you'll know where I'm going with this. The toys to life genre, (laughs) um, is a weird sordid affair for both of us. Uh, you got into Skylanders for a while there. I got a little bit into it. Um, and you know, there were some other, you know, amiibos we've gotten into to different degrees. Um, but the one that I actually fell most head over heels with, um, is Lego dimensions. I love that game. And I was so sad that after season two, quote unquote, such as it was season two, um, came out that it, it fizzled like all the toys to life stuff did, except somehow Starlink lives on. Um, but well, Starlink was just bored. <laughs> right, right, right. And also they have a digital only version, which is far superior. Everybody says, but anyway, um, Lego dimension is just a great game. It's so fun. It made me want to buy the characters to unlock the parts I couldn't unlock. Um, building the stuff was great. I just love Legos period. And also it Lego dimensions, unlike Skylanders has you know, just this infinite array of of licenses to draw from. In a way, it's kind of like the perfect game. It's like, you like Knight Rider? He can be in your game. You like, uh, and what other franchise can offer that? You know, you like Lord of the Rings? Boom, there's Gandalf. You know, I mean, it's just any, and then there's also four other Lord of the Rings characters. If you want to go deeper cuts, you want to play as Gollum? You got it. Um, and then it has Lego movie characters. It's got Batman. I mean, you name it, it's got it. The core game was great. Like the, the, the levels were awesome. Building, yeah, it had a solid story mode. Yeah. Building, building the sets was awesome. I ended up expanding mine with the Ghostbusters set. I know you did Fantastic Beasts, which I still haven't gotten around to, but would love to play. Um, and it's just a great, great game that, that, that died way before its time because unfortunately the genre died. Um, but that was a huge surprise as to how much I got into that, how much I invested in it. Um, just really enjoyed it all the way around. No, very nice. I mean, that was a surprise for me. I, I, uh, was, we picked it up on, on, on that Best Buy deal we got. Yeah. We, we you both know, I did that cause it was so cheap. I, I can't say it was as much of a surprise, obviously, since I had gotten into Skylanders and I already knew I loved Lego games. And you know what I love about it is I still have a bunch, even if I never play Lego Dimensions again, I still have a bunch of nice Lego minifigures. So that's fun. That's right. They're cool as hell. They're in a box still on my shelf, pretty prominently placed in case I ever want to play it again. Yeah. So for me, my most surprising game is one that it wasn't a game that I was uh, like apprehensive about. I didn't even know about this game. And that's why it was surprising. It just sort of dropped and it got great reviews. Um, her story. I don't know if you remember this one. I never played that, but I love mysteries. I did not know that you had ever played that. Yeah, I played through it in a single sitting. I want to say it was like three to five hours or so. Just, um, I don't even know that I saw all the footage in it, but her story was a game, uh, that was, it's an FMV game, which have had a resurgence in the past few years. It seemed like more and more of them are coming out lately, um, which makes sense with HD video and the ease of putting video files into games. But, 
Uh, it is a game about a woman who gets called in and investigated for some crime that, as I recall, wasn't immediately obvious. It was basically a game where there were uh, – you had all these video clips um, for whatever reason. I forget the exact conceit for why it was just video clips. But you're investigating this old crime, and you have this one woman who gave this long testimony, was asked a bunch of questions. And you're trying to both solve the mystery, figure out what she confessed to or didn't confess to or what happened. And the whole game works by searching for video clips. And the thing is you can search um, one word or phrase at a time. And, you know, the the wordier it is, the worse. But if it shows up in a video clip, uh, it will pop up. Now, you can't just put murder in and, you know, or victim and things like that and expect all these clips to come up. It does the five most relevant i think i forget exactly how they were ordered but basically you can only see the five top searches okay um so you might look up murder or you might look up sister you might look up uh victim or any of these words and you'll get new video clips and you'll keep track of which ones you've seen um but you're just sort of piecing together the story from watching these video clips and what's really interesting is how well it works like you'd think it might just be this cluster F of a mess where you're not really sure what's going on. And it kind of is that at first. You're just you're checking out video clips and uh, you're, you're not really sure what's happening. But each time you'll, you might get a hint or a clue and you might think of another word to search for that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Yeah. And when that happens, you go look for other ones. You keep watching. It's really well acted by this single actress who really carries the entire game again. It's like it's three amazing. or four three to five hours of footage that she shot that they directed and edited. There's all kinds of cool, like Easter eggy almost videos that don't necessarily have anything to do with the case, but have things like her performing a song. Um, It's just, it it was a really fascinating time. I remember I played it in one afternoon. I just sat there. I kept searching. It's very compelling. It keeps making you want to look up more and more videos. And uh, yeah, I just, how is the reveal once you get the twists and everything resolved? Is it interesting? It does a good job. I honestly, I forget a lot of the specifics because it has been a while. But what I remember being really interesting about it is it has so many smaller mysteries that you can – I think it's built that way so that you can come at it from different angles and be learning different things. But you'll kind of get like rolling reveals because you'll learn ways that things are connected and it will trigger you to want to look up other things. And so it's not like there's a climax. It's not like there's one video that's like the grand reveal, but it's just a matter of learning this case through exploring. It's sort of more like almost like a um, like how a true crime documentary like Making a Murderer might look at it. Interestingly, and, that's what Obra Dinn, the, uh, the, re- the return of the Obra Dinn is similar to that in a way. Of course, a totally different way of giving you the story. But that's what I've understood is that like it's just the the, the the picture of the crime gets wider and wider as you fill it out. Yeah, so it was just a surprisingly solid time. I still ha- own it because it's on Steam, and I might I pick it back up and, and play it again just because it'd probably be a fresh experience this long later. It's like me rewatching Midsummer Murders uh, episodes because you know although it's so fun to find out who done it, you kind of forget who done it after a while. Sure. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the same for you, but anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but next up will be my number two game. And uh, this is, I think, going to be the big one that, that shows that things are different than they were three years ago. All right. Uh, my number two game for 2015 is Life is Strange. Okay. Uh, and that was number one with a bullet, my first list. Um, and, you know, it's still very high up there. And I, I love Life is Strange. I was super I, I, surprised that it didn't wasn't your character pick. Well, that was the thing. I was like, I honestly thought about it, but it's like, 
I like the characters in Life is Strange, and I, I thought about picking um, Chloe, but you know, the, obviously the player character is more of a. She has her own character, but she's more of like the the surrogate character. Okay. Um, but honestly, I I I love this game. I love the world. I love all the characters in it, and it makes it hard because there's such a good cast to have picked one of them. I love the reveals of the mystery as you go on. I like just the the relationship that develops between Max and Chloe throughout the game. Um, and yeah, it was just so emotionally, I'm so emotionally invested. You know, I've talked multiple times about how the second episode ends on this really potentially devastating moment that got me and, uh, the game as a whole holds up really well. Uh, I haven't gone back and played through it again. I mean, it's been a long enough that I could, but it, it felt very singular and was very happy with my also, experience. Also the killer reveal, um, is, is a big one. And when you kind of know it, it does hurt. That game, I think, is going to be lessened. Although the character moments are amazing, it's going to be lessened a bit by knowing that up ahead. You may get a different experience, though, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I think it's a game more about the character stuff than the murder mystery. But, you know, that's me. Uh-huh. Um, Understood. Understood. But, but you don't think that, like, th- even the character interactions early on are very... Oh, they'll, be, they'll be colored differently, but I think there's always that thing of rewatching a mystery to see the clues. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess just have so. that going. I guess so. Um, but no, I, Life is Strange is just, it's so singular, and what it did that still impresses me is that it came out of basically nowhere. Uh, Don't Not had done Remember, Remember me, me at that point. Right. Which we uh, both but suddenly, liked, but nobody else really did. It was like a, a 6.5 or 7 of a game, you know? Yeah, it needed work, and then they just came out with a, you know, teenage drama with time travel and it was like so out of left field but some of the early buzz was that it was tone deaf and it had like this really like off-putting lingo and that was only early on once people got into the story like that whole conversation died and it just became this game is amazing yeah and i think that holds true they i still say made the best telltale style episodic adventure game um i think life is strange is the king of that for me i love it i love that world um and I, I think the only thing is it's it's not a game that I'm going to want to rush back to, but it is a game that I really love, really just just want to see more of. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really uh, yeah, I say that, but but then again, I mean, the the reason it kind of fell is it's like as much as I love it, I've not been compelled to go back to it as strongly. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't played before the storm. I have no desire to play it. A lot of that is the behind-the-scenes stuff made by a different company. They didn't use the original voice actors because of the strike, you know, stuff like that. But then, you know, I want to play Life is Strange too, but it's completely different. So, I mean, it's obviously – it's not like I'm rushing to learn some new secrets. Right. Um, and I want to play The Adventures of Captain Awesome before that or The Awesome <laughs> Adventures of Captain – Whatever. One whatever those, it is. One yeah. of Captain those. Spirit. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Um, I like your version so, better, but yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's only fallen a little bit. It's still, I think, one of the best games from that year. It's just there's another game that when I think of 2015 and what that game meant to me, it's a little higher. Um, I will say I will say that Life is Strange was my first honorable mention. It's one of the two games that um, in many ways are better than Arkham Knight that almost pushed that out for me. in some ways, it's better than any game on my list in some categories in, in in terms of its storytelling, in terms of it, I think you're right. It really did take that genre and step it up to the max. I don't think there's any 
game, including the original Walking Dead, that's as moving as Life is Strange, has the potential to be for people. Um, and just Slice of Life has never been so compulsively playable either. Yeah. Um, so that was my number two. What about you? Uh, my number two I already went into a bit. Um, it's Until Dawn. Um, and uh, I can't say enough good things about that game. But what I have to say about it more than any of the good things is how long it stayed with me. I remember that game so profoundly and clearly. For a game that was only 8 to 12 hours, um, for me probably 12 or 14 because I always nitpick all the little details and check out the butterfly effects and all that kind of cool stuff, figure out where if I could have saved Jessica after all and how I could have done it and all that kind of stuff. I love those games, and I think it's the best example maybe of all. I think I like Heavy Rain a little bit more, but, but in different ways. Until Dawn is... You know, aside from Resident Evil 4, maybe the best horror game I've ever played. Um, it's certainly the best, uh, you know, horror game like that. It's it's one of the best um, sort of teen horror movies slash story slash games I've ever... I, what I'm trying to say is, like, I think I like Until Dawn better than I like any of the Screams, for example. You know, it's that okay. good at nailing that genre. Um, I think the cast is amazing. I think the game is just so fun to play. It's got actually fun mechanics. I love making choices that essentially are hollow when you look back on them. But at the time, they felt really, really meaningful. And I actually had a character die in my playthrough. And I'm usually the guy that wants to look at like a fact and make sure that doesn't happen. But in this case, I let it ride because that's what happened. And it literally was just a matter of I didn't run down the stairs quick enough, I found out. Um, that's why this girl died. And I had to live with that um, throughout that game. And it really had a big impact on me. Now, I'm not going to say it's moving and emotional in the ways that uh, Life is Strange is, because it's not. Um, Life is Strange tells a more moving story. But this just stuck with me. The moments, being with these characters, the fun I had. Um, and I definitely plan on giving that game a replay. And an interesting little corollary to that is recently I played <laughs> Hidden Agenda <laughs> with a friend of mine. Now, Hidden Agenda is the much bemoaned, very little known follow-up quote-unquote follow-up um to until dawn and it is also by the same developer and it was designed to be like an eight-player co-op murder mystery so it's like until dawn meets heavy rain meets play link which is essentially like like the uh like those um uh, jack jack in the box games um you know where you can all everyone brings a phone to the party it's like that. Mm -hmm. And I only played yeah. it with two people, so it wasn't as interesting as it would have been if there were eight people arguing over a story beat. But essentially, that game just shows you how good Until Dawn was, because it's that bad. Um, it's just lousy, and, and, and it, it just every beat that it hits, it hits wrong. Whereas Until Dawn just hits so many beats right, and I love exploring the Asylum. They also did that second game, that, follow, that other follow-up to it, um, the Asylum, or what was it called? Do you remember? Um, it was like a VR oh, game. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't. The internist say. or some shit like. Anyway, it's it, essentially it was the follow up to Until Dawn, but it's really a prequel. Um, and the Inpatient. Um, and mm. you know all these games are made by Supermassive, but it's a prequel. It's 60 years before the events of the original game, according to Wikipedia. Anyway, nothing they've done since is as good. However, I have a lot of faith in their new project, which is coming out, which is like a series of games. Um, and it is, I just saw it here, it is called The Dark Pictures Anthology. 
Um, and it's going to be like an anthology of games, much like American Horror Story is an anthology series. It may have some overlap, may not, between games. But the first one coming out in 2019 is called Man of Medan. And it has to do with like an underwater expedition that goes horribly awry into the horror huh. realm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. Love this developer. Can't wait to see what they do when they try to actually make like a legit non-gimmicky follow-up to Until Dawn. So, anyway, that's my number two pick. Okay. Um, love that game. Well, that was it. You gave us a, a gimmicky, disappointing game from this year or so. What was your disappointing game of 2015? Um, let's see what I got here. Um, oh, wow. This is a weird one because this is a doubleheader. I'm revealing all of my cards for my honorable mentions, but this is one of them. So this okay. game is both an honorable mention and my most disappointing game of the year. Um, and it is Rise of the Tomb Raider. Mm. Um, this game, and I actually recently have gone back to play the original Tomb Raider a bit with a friend of mine, and that game still holds up. So it is not just the fact that it was so novel. That game, the first Tomb Raider in the reboot, in 2013's Tomb Raider, is a masterpiece. It's, it's, Corey Barlog worked on the story, the game is, is, the mechanics of that game are flawless, pretty flawless going around and upgrading your weapons. If it, it ripped from whole cloth, just this amazing game formula that is held up through all three games in the series, but I just can't believe that it came out of nothing and just became that good. You know, it came from essentially Tomb Raider Underworld and evolved into Tomb Raider 2013, which is just so leaps and bounds above everything that they'd ever done with the franchise before that um, in certain ways. I'm not saying the original Tomb Raider wasn't also groundbreaking, but Tomb Raider 2013 is a game that I love way more than I have ever loved a Tomb Raider game. The game is just a masterpiece. So following that up was going to be tough. Rise yeah. of the Tomb Raider just has a poor story in my mind. I don't like the story. Uh, I don't like the whole, you know, aspect of you're betrayed by your, you know, your dad's girlfriend. And, you know, there's, there's, the the subplot of getting this power to save it to, to cure a disease and it, it just the whole thing was a downer but not in like a fun way not like the first game was a downer all your friends are facing extermination and there's this terrible monster on the island that you're sort of fighting against as you come of age like that had meaning and 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 it, it moved me as well as being a compelling game throughout and that island was so great this one is just disjointed um it tries to step up everything in different categories, like it tries to give you more weapons and more abilities and, and more of everything, but it all adds up to being less. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I feel really strongly about saying this is a disappointment. There's another thing that's been colored by the experience of years after, because I've now played um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which is my second favorite Tomb Raider game in the new uh, trilogy. Um, so... Rise of the Tomb Raider is definitely my least favorite of the three, significantly so. Although there's great elements of it. It's still an honorable mention because I still love going to each area and upgrading my weapons. I still love getting all the collectibles. I still love the combat. I still love sneaking up on things. But most of all, I love the traversal, going through the areas, figuring out what to jump to, what stuff needs to be upgraded so that I'm you know, more competitive in this next match. There's one mechanic that all three games share that's phenomenal. I don't know if you knew this. You probably did. But when you go into um, instincts mode or whatever they call it in that game, um, you when you're looking at the stealth, when you're playing stealth and you look at the characters, they show up red, red outlined. If they're gonna, if if taking that enemy out will alert other enemies. But as yes. soon as they're out of eyesight, 
or earshot, they turn white and they're and you can take them down. And while that may feel artificial and not like organic stealth, I love that. And that game nails that. And I can't believe it, but it was in the first Tomb Raider reboot. And it goes all the way through those games. And that is just such a great mechanic that some games do it. I've, I've played other games that do it also, but I think that's the first place I saw it. And if not, it's the place I enjoyed it the most. Love that mechanic. So it's it's the best of times and the worst of times. You know, that game really suffered based by comparison. If it had been the first Tomb Raider to come out of that reboot series, it would have been one of the best games of all time, potentially. But the story just doesn't hold up compared to the previous story, and I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm rambling. Point being, no, it I was mean, a big disappointment for me. I, I don't disagree. Like, I played it at the time, and I didn't quite get into it enough. Um, and I tried to come back to it this year right before Shadow because I wanted to get into it before Shadow. But I got further, but I still just kind of fell off because it just it's not as gripping or compelling as that first one. It just isn't. It just isn't. There's no two ways about it. But um, I'd say finish it just to have finished it, you know? No, yeah, I, I would like to get there. Um, for me, uh, or, or assuming you're done. Yeah, all set. Yeah. For my most disappointing game, this is one that I wanted to like so much, and I put a lot of hours into it, but I just couldn't get on board with it. They they changed things just too much for me to be as down with it, and they're such small things, um, but Fallout 4 is my most disappointing game. Oh, that's, that, that's a good pick. Um, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas uh, both work on that same engine, and it Fallout 3 is just so good. Like, even still, um, thinking back on the experience of playing Fallout 3 is so invigorating, because it, it just did such a good job of, of bringing the Fallout system into 3D and giving you this big, open world to explore in the post-apocalypse. And it was obviously very um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion-inspired, but it gave it that post-apocalyptic twist you had vats for slowing time down oh yeah you had the all these you know side stories that you could find and explore and all the ambient storytelling that just happened in the world and the was, way they set things up was rivet city three or new vegas that was three. Oh man it's such a great such a great area yeah and it just it had so many things like that and new vegas was obviously the original fallout developers with obsidian kind of coming back and, and getting to tell their own story and i love that too i loved it more than three i liked how it focused more on just so many smaller stories as opposed to giant side quests and and giving you all of these different ways to explore the world and kind of guiding you but also giving you the freedom to explore both those games and then you know fallout 4 was supposed to be another great experience you know sort of do for fallout 3 what skyrim did to oblivion right blow it up and make it even better and it's just not better <laughs> it's not better it yeah it is you know it's not like they it i mean i played new vegas right before 4 came out and it had it aged but it was still compellingly written fallout 4 i you know it's got this whole thing where you're supposed to be like chasing down your missing child and I don't even know what happens. It has interesting characters. It has a synthoid who's like a private eye that's, in that's Dodge my, City. That's like the number one thing I remember. Her, him and that reporter girl. And that's yeah, it. Piper. That and I mean they you, they show up early. You spend a lot of time with them before the game kind of. I just don't know why it's not as compelling. I don't either. It's weird. It's, it's I, I have to I have to cut in and say I know I have the same frustration that you do because literally there's nothing essentially wrong with the game it's just not as good in about a thousand ways yeah i never felt compelled to play the dlc for it i remember just i, I what i remember about it was that 
yeah, it, it had very tiny changes. Like, Vats wasn't freezing time anymore. It was slowing it down, but it was still Vats. Um, you know, the crafting wasn't something I was crazy about, but it wasn't, like, a necessity. You didn't have to craft in that game. Uh, or at least city build, I should say. Yeah. Um, I think they changed small things about maybe lock picking, but nothing... Like, all the elements feel like they should be there, but it's, like, missing a spark that the Fallout 3 yeah. engine games had. No, it absolutely it absolutely is. It's it's missing something, and I don't know... I don't know how to put my finger on it, but I had the same experience that you did. And even though this probably wasn't true, I felt like it got a slightly tepid response from fans. And I I, I have that impression, and I can't shake it. I know that that game sold really well. Like, I get that. But I also feel like when when, when Fallout 76 was announced and it was coming out, uh, you know, people started talking about Fallout 4 again, and, you know, it it was really good and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? Did you really like it that much? Because I don't remember people falling all over themselves about 4, the way they did about the stories in New Vegas and, and 3. I Not just, once it had actually came come out. Like, the hype for it was crazy. But, yes. I, but um, I just don't remember the fever pitch the way I did for the first ones. And then that DLC came out and no one was talking about it. At least that was my perception. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I know they came out, but no one – there wasn't like a, a – a hunger for it i no, don't think no and it, yeah and, it, and maybe it was, we're just not part maybe we're not plugged in but i just feel like four was such a step down somehow despite the things it added or tried to change and for some reason i'm excited about fallout 76 and i, I guess that's just i'm hoping it's the opposite effect where there's like so little hype going in but maybe it ends up somehow we'll, working we'll see i mean the biggest problem with 76 for me is I have a real sticking point with I can get past the, the multiplayer aspect. I can enjoy the co-op. We could all adventure together. I like that concept, all of that. But I think they took it one bridge too far when they said, just for the tagline almost, we want every living player you come in contact with to be a, li- a real person. That kills it for me. I don't want to listen to audio logs and have robots tell me stories. I want other NPCs in the world to for me to interact with. That's Fallout for me. If there's no NPCs and the only people making the story are some brats that are online playing the game with me and want to nuke me, I know nuking doesn't kill you. It just irradiates an area and makes it high level. I get it. I've watched all the shit. But... I just don't see that that's going to fill in that the experience of, 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 of somebody somewhere playing this game. I don't think that's going to fill in for what I'm going to lose by having that Synthroid private eye hanging out with me. I just don't. Yeah, I I'm curious. There are going to be robots. There are super mutants in the game. So I don't know if maybe there'll be some NPCs that are super mutants because they are essentially not to humans, talk. Right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see on that aspect. I just, you know, I mean, for me, it's hundred percent that co-op is something I want again. Hey, Dead Space 3 rec- re- uh, represent, you know? Yeah, we're, we're playing that. And that's a big part of why I want to play a game with friends again. That isn't Overwatch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and this is going to be that, um, you know, Vats does not even slow time now. Um, but, uh, it is what it is. So we'll see how it plays out. I, you know, this is one of those things I put in the category of a Jordan experience of a Jordan conversation or a Jordan <laughs> thing where you just pick certain games. Metal Gear Survive was one of them. Um, that one didn't turn out so well, I don't think, but no, it was lot, not a great beta. No, but, but there are things that you, games that you just pick and you just decide, like, I'm going to get hyped about this game or I am hyped about this game, whatever it is, whatever your, the Jordan formula is. Right. Um, and this I is mean, one of those and we'll see. I mean, the upside is even if 76 is a crash and burn, um, my my <laughs> there's a big co-op game coming out next month that I'm really excited about. So Entitled. there's that. Earth Defense Force 5. Oh, right, right, right. 
So, I mean, that, if nothing else, will hopefully be a lot of fun. But, uh, no, yeah, so that was my most disappointing game. And I'll be honest, there wasn't a lot of light between my disappointing and worst. It was really just a matter of, because uh, both of them I would I would probably classify overall as more disappointing than worst. Like, Fallout 4 could have been the worst. Yeah. Um, but this one is a franchise I love more. I have a lot more investment in. And it was a game that... From the beginning in a small way and throughout the whole campaign just kept disappointing, just frustrating and being such a huge misstep uh, that my worst game for 2015 is Halo 5 Guardians. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you remember, I dogged this game. I still dog it. Yeah, yeah. You were really disappointed by it. And it wasn't just the whole thing. Your your problem with it was not everybody else's problem or a lot of people's problem where, oh, you barely play as chief or, oh, it's not really, a, a you know, the, this this chief versus lock battle. It, I mean, those are all negative. Well, right. I don't care as much about chief. It was misadvertised. Yeah, the, the misadvertising is such a, like, why even do that type of thing? Right. Um, no, Halo 5 is just a bad Halo campaign. It... The balance is off. I've tried to go back and finish it on Legendary Solo so often, but it's just overwhelmingly unfun with the the number of enemies they throw at you and the way – how good a shot they are. And I mean that happens in other Halo games. I don't like Halo Reach for a lot of the similar reasons where playing it Legendary Solo is just brutal. But it still feels like Halo – it doesn't feel like – Halo 5 feels – too hard but also off from halo because they change the way encounters work in some respects in terms of how big they are they they messed with the promethean enemies and and really effed them up so that they weren't it wasn't that fun mechanic of the crawlers rushing up and the knights kind of tra- being there and then having the guardians guarding them it, it threw that all off um and they make you fight the warden eternal who might be my least favorite boss fight in the past 10 years. And that might just be because of how many times you have to fight the guy. Uh, and then later on multiple versions of him at the same time, it was a constant matter of running out of ammo. Hmm. And yeah, some of this is from playing it on heroic I slash was, legendary I was gonna say, right out but, the gate. I was going to say, but at the same time, like that's kind of a null point because again, you always play them on legendary heroic out the gate. Uh, yeah. And they're always fun for you. I mean, yes though, it would probably alleviate a lot of those headaches. Um, that you're, that you're explaining, you know, on top of that, it just felt like, I don't know, I guess it depends on how you look at it. A lot of people see Halo 4, a lot of people don't like Halo 4, but I mean, every Halo has its detractors, but a lot of people see it as them doing a classic Halo before trying to branch out, but they did a classic Halo so well, the Halo 4 is still my favorite Halo campaign. Um, I think they really nailed it. I thought they did the classic stuff really well while also adding new elements in a big way for the first time in the series. Um, and they, they five just feels like they wanted to course correct and change everything. And the narrative of the reclaimer trilogy that became the reclaimer saga just changed completely with suddenly Cortana's the villain. And it really undermined. It felt like it was undercutting everything. Halo four did well too. So narratively it was a bummer. Like Cortana didn't sacrifice herself. Now she's back and she's evil. And then all the, this character that I, and and look, this is on me for getting invested in the expanded universe stuff. But I want I chased no, you know what? Spartan Ops was part of the game. I chased Jolum Dama for 
50 episodes and then he gets punked out in the opening like fight of that game. So yes, it's frustrating no, in that that's respect. that's fucked up. That's fucked up. If your game, if your fifth game shits all over your fourth game and everything that, that made the fourth game good, like right there you're 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 starting like not one down but five down. That is a bad idea. Do not do that. Why do games think that it's smart just because of some dramatic mechanism they want to execute on in the next game they think they can just trash what came before it games more than even movies should be careful about that because there's so much there in in halo 4 and halo 3 and halo 2 and when you take and when you start you know taking swipes at that just for the sake of halo 5 that's just a mistake and you have to realize how much you're Anyway, you're you're really you do damage when you start running a wrecking ball through uh, people's memories of things. Yeah, and I mean, it's just it's a bummer. I like because there are good things. The gunplay is is great, and that's like the frustrating thing. And it's a lot of a people f- say the multiplayer is phenomenal. It is like no, honestly, the multiplayer is insane. Warzone was really fun. I just don't play enough multiplayer shooting to to have gotten as invested in it. I always spend time with Halo's multiplayer. But I don't, you know, go on it for weeks and weeks. It's not my game of the year, like for the year, I should say. Yeah. Um, But no, they've added so much. Like at this point, it's basically everything Halo you could want. They've added, they've constantly added maps. They've added gun variants where it's like, oh, you can have the Halo 5 shotgun or you can have the Halo 1 shotgun or you can have the Halo 1 pistol. And so it's like delineated that much and they've like put so much into it. Yeah. it's really impressive. I'll go back to it like every year or so, and I'm always like, yeah, they've they've really put work into making this the suite that Halo fans want. Uh, the question is always, of course, how many Halo fans are left because other franchises have evolved and put things elsewhere. Um, I mean, I think it's it's telling that for this is the longest stretch without a Halo game now because there wasn't one this year. Um, Infinite is what next year at the earliest, so right, uh, probably not, but yes, um, probably not um, next year, but we'll see. So yeah, I I just. It's a game I played to completion and still put back on for the multiplayer, but the campaign was just a misstep. What I will say, uh, go listen to Hunt the Truth, like the podcast they did I've heard that part was like of it. a serial. Yeah, they got like actual actor, like Keegan Michael Key plays the main character. It actually is like an, uh, a mystery about what Chief did and finding out if he's really gone rogue. It's like completely disconnected from Halo Five, but it's actually a surprisingly good podcast. So speaking of podcasts, check that, that out. Spe- yeah, speaking of podcasts that do great narrative things, just a quick plug because we don't talk about TV stuff together that much. If you haven't seen Homecoming, the series on Amazon Prime yet, and or if you haven't listened to the podcast that inspired it. Please consume that, you, Jordan, and anyone listening, one of those two ways. Podcast is phenomenal on Gimlet Media, and the show is just, it's directed by um, Sam Esmail of Mr. Robot fame, and it's phenomenal. Uh, Homecoming rules. Anyway, I digress. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, am I up? You are up. What's your worst game from 2015? Okay, so both my worst game and my best game from 2015, <laughs> both of those titles um are given the benefit of retrospect. I had not played either of these games until just this year. Wow. So this is truly, like when you said you wanted to do 2015 and I realized what games were released that year, I was like, wow, yes and yes. Um, Because there's so much from that year that I've played, finally. Um, And so I will start with my worst. Um, My worst game from that year, and it could have easily been disappointing, except my hopes weren't that high for it, um, is Resident Evil Revelations 2. <laughs> I 
hate that game. I think wow. it sucks. I wow. think it stinks. I mean, it is everything I like about Resident Evil Revelations 1 on the 3DS, which I even played it on. And everything I like about Re- Resident Evil 4, 5, and even 6, this game just stinks. I don't like... It, it takes everything that's good about Resident Evil. The gunplay, it makes it feel like shit. It's like it's like like feathery. It doesn't feel right. It's not punchy and proper. The puzzles are whack. The characters are just like not executed well. The twists are not great. Um, every one of the asynchronous um, multiplayer things, one character has fun shit to do. The other character has really lame shit to do. Like you're a girl that's ghostly with a brick. But oh no, you don't even get to carry the brick all the time. You gotta find bricks in the environment to even have any kind of impact on the world. Or you're the other girl who's got a flashlight that can distract enemies while the one player has fun shooting them. It's stupid. Like, I get what they were going for. Asynchronous co-op is a cool idea. It's just not fun. Come up with fun shit for both people to do. The puzzles aren't fun. I really, really dislike... Also, when games give you this very linear world to go through, but then try to artificially, episodically segment it. I just think that feels like shit. When I walk up to this big complex and, like, I see, okay, there's all these doors around. And, like, I know I'm going to have to get a key in there to go into that door. And, like, that's not an something where, like, going and finding the key can be one part of an episode and then later I'll come back. At, no. Like, I need to feel that as a cohesive section. And that's just not how that game plays. It's disjointed. The stories... I mean, I just don't like anything about it. And maybe I played it when I was cranky. But, I mean, I just... I was going to that game. I was like, yes, I'm going to have another Resident Evil experience that's traditional, right? That's the RE4, RE Resident... Excuse me, RE5 and RE um, Revelations 1 um, sort of traditional Resident Evil experience that's different from this new, you know, diversion that they've done with Seven, which is also great. Um, and Revelations One is awesome. You're on this ship. There's reveals. It's very survival horror. You switch between characters. It's fun. It feels like you're exploring an area. It's not artificially snipped up and cut into pieces. Um, I care about the characters as corny as they are and as T-virusy as it all is. I mean, I just love that game. And for Revelations 2 to just be such a a, a mess, in, in my eyes... Um, it's just, uh, of all the games that year, and of course, expectations play into it, because I always had it set aside as like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to get to this at some point, and I can't wait, it's going to be great, and I thought I had the perfect time to play it, and it just let me down on every level, so that is definitely my worst game of 2015. Well, dang. Um, you played it, right? You know, the first episode, it didn't grab there us. There we go. Uh, so, I mean, I can't You're dying I can't say- for co-op content. Yeah, no, we've considered going back to it, but we just, it wasn't, it was, it was, the yeah. It's no fun. It's not fun. It just doesn't uh, feel fun. I believe it. Well, uh, do you have any honorable mentions before you get to your number one? I do, um, and you've heard them both. Um, so my both well, there you are, go. Life is Strange and Rise of the Tomb Raider are my two are my two honorable mentions. And in many ways, both of those games are better than games that are on my top list. Um, I never got to play Metal Gear Solid Five. I didn't get to play AC Syndicate, and I didn't play enough of Mario Maker. Um, to be able to, you know, really comment on it much. Um, but um, all of that aside, it's time for my number one, right? Yeah. So this is big because this is a game that I literally played three months ago for, uh, and, and, and completed. And it's no surprise to anybody that checked out any goatee lists for 2015. It's pretty much everybody's 
best game of 2015. Um, and I think that it, it's it's almost objectively the best game of 2015. And that is The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Um, <laughs> this game is everything that Witcher 2 is. And Witcher 2 is an awesome game. Um, and it's cranked up to 11. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just phenomenal the story is phenomenal the characters are just truly outstanding and and it's a hail mary pass like this game is all in you want to talk about all in this game is all in and yeah it was made under some pretty crunchy circumstances and yeah cd project red is problematic when it comes to like how hard it pushes its people and this is that is not making any excuse for treating people poorly but i will say they are excruciating in their in their quest for greatness in this game it is vast it is compelling it is brilliantly written it takes everything that's great about witcher 2 the the adult stories the mature content the decisions where there's not really any good solution and it but it also never feels frustrating a lot of times when you play games where like both answers are bad like you're in pain and not enjoying yourself but witcher 3 somehow you move on from each situation having been moved by the experience but also moving on to the next thing. And all of the great story stuff aside, and all of the great, you know, I actually ended up enjoying the combat. I enjoyed using the mutagens. I enjoyed leveling up my character in different ways. I have all the best armor. Of course, I started mid-maxing like crazy because that's what I do with those games. But in addition to all that, it's got the open world stuff too. It's got all these nests that you have to close up. It's got all of these characters you have to discover that lead to new quests. It's got all of these... So it, it has all the Assassin's Creed Ubisoft tra- open world trappings, but it also has this expansive open world with phenomenal side quests and awesome mission design. And it has missions you can miss. It has missions that once you do them, they lead into other missions. It's just this web that's so vast and complicated that I think part of the reason everybody gives this game of the year for that year is just the undertaking that it is. And the you know it, it's amazingly fun to play, but when you play it, you're just taken aback by the achievement of this game. And, and that all these systems, these disparate web-like systems can come together into one cohesive whole that really lands and and lands well so anyway you know it's not news to anybody but the witcher 3 wild hunt is as good as everybody says um and it's it's so much more than the sum of its parts but its parts are pretty great too um so my my pick um is one i just recently played and just recently got to enjoy and i actually talked to another friend of mine who was also playing it recently um, cause it's a great time to play cause you can get the game of the year edition game of the year. Um, and, uh, it has all the DLC. I, I had to stop after the first, um, campaign cause it was about an 80 hour experience. And I, if I'd, I just started the next DLC and I was like, nope, I got to stop because it's all consuming. It's the kind of game that like, you don't go out on Friday night cause you want to play it. It's that kind of game. And you just have yeah. all these things you want to keep doing. So I would say play that game on a break because if you try to play it and live your life, like something's going to go to the wayside. <laughs> Um, so very nice great game no i mean witcher 3 is great i really enjoyed what i've played of it i need to get back to it i just haven't yet (laughs) again it's a huge time commitment you've got to know that that's what that game is but man when you do get back to it and get further in and you made a really important uh comment i think it's very true and it's not even very clear early on how true it is but you said that first area um white orchard or whatever it is plays just like witcher 2 so do not judge that game by the by the prologue area it's like a little mini area that's a microcosm of the ga- larger game. And if you judge it by that mini area, you will think it's Witcher 2, and it's cool, but not that great. It's not until you get to the first big area um, that you understand 
how what that game is and why it's such a such a you know masterful step above what Witcher Two was. Um, so yeah, I would say give it give it a chance and 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 it will grab you. Yeah. All right. I guess it's me now. It's you. Let's do it's it. My honorable mentions. Let's hit them. Uh, the Witcher Three is one. I, I you know you kind of said it all, but that is a great game from that year. Yeah. Um, the two that were on my top three list initially that fell to the wayside were Crypt of the Necro Dancer. I right. still love that game. It's right. such a wonderful roguelike. And Tales from the Borderlands. Oh wow! Uh, I'm amazed that that <laughs> fell out of the top because you love that game. It is very good. I still love it a lot. Um, and then one that I didn't get to play until the following year, and I'm now just rabidly waiting for the Switch version, is uh, Super Mario Maker. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved everything about that game. It was, it was so fun. Not not so much creating levels. I'm not great at it. I'm but not either. Just getting so many cool levels, and, and I'm excited to see what they – I mean, I know it's not confirmed, but I'd be crazy if it doesn't come to Switch somehow. Plus, they need games because they need first-party exclusives in the next two years. Yeah. Uh, but for me – I had to go with a game that was in 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 its own way kind of a surprise, but you know it was it was the game for a couple months there. And honestly, outside of no, I don't even think Gears Four is that great. It feels like the last great cooperative experience I've had in gaming. Uh, so my game of the year for 2015 is Call of Duty Black Ops Three. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, I'm not a Call of Duty guy. I haven't played the past two call of duties and i didn't really touch call of duty before black ops 3 um and even now a big part of it being that there's no campaign i'm not rushing to get black ops 4 um but black ops 3 was sold on to us to, to kelsey and i just on how cool zomb- the zombies map looked um and that's the first thing we did and we spent hours playing that map over and over and over again getting further figuring out the secrets and the coolest thing about zombies um at least as far as treyarch does it is the way they build all of these secrets and easter eggs into the map and figuring out how to progress to the next story part of the map is 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 a matter of figuring that stuff out and you know we felt real reward upon seeing things in the map and realizing we could do stuff to it and figuring out how to manipulate it um and it was such a detail there were like six or seven stages to that map in terms of things you had to mm-hmm. do and complete. Um, and, you know, I mean, the big crippling thing is that it is kind of built for four people. So doing it with two was hard, but we made it work and we had a lot of fun doing it. But then beyond that, it was just a remarkably stuffed game because you had a full campaign that was honestly really good. Like I mentioned it earlier, John Taylor was my character, but the campaign in Black Ops 3 was a lot of fun. It emphasized the gunplay. It emphasized the abilities that were also a big part of that year's multiplayer and, you know, the traversal. And it, it made it feel really fun to get around and get from point A to point B. And the firefights were, were cool. It had a lot of great story moments. And then on top of that, it had a top-down shooter mode that you could unlock. It had an alternate zombies campaign that was, you know, pretty slapped together, but that was there. I mean, that this game had five different game modes that were so robust and gave us so much to do it's like we played the crap out of that game and and you know we fell off of it we never got to the dlc and and part of that is it it, instead of being about the 1940s characters that were so great in the zombies mode where you had characters voiced by jeff goldblum and neil mcdonough heather graham had that really good like 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 noir vibe yeah it had all that they had great lines and interactions 
Um, it went back to their sort of standard zombie characters from World at War who've had this ongoing story, and that's all fine. But, you know, Black Ops to me is going to be about the Nine and Titanic map, not the Nazi zombies thing again. Right. <clears throat> but Black Ops just – we played we played it like crazy. And I mean it's the – outside of Overwatch, it's the last time I can remember getting that obsessed with a game and it sticking with us for that long. Well, it's it's amazingly um, timely that you would say this because actually the NPDs um, just released their list of the best-selling games of the last like, I don't know, at least 15, 20 years. Back to at least 96, 22 years I think. And every year that A Call of Duty came out, it was the best-selling game that year. Every single year. Um, there's not even, um, uh, uh, blah, 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 Grand Theft Auto 4 got pushed. Um, other games got pushed. I didn't know that Call of Duty was that freaking huge, but it is that huge. I mean, it's um, the game in a lot of ways. I know, but we, remember, it sort of felt like it was falling off these last couple of years. It wasn't as big a deal. Like, it still was the game of the year all those years, as far as sales are concerned. Yeah. Um, no, I... Again, I don't buy into the Juggernaut. Black Ops 4 even is something where I want to play it, but because it doesn't have that single-player campaign, which is almost kind of ironic given that we did buy the last one for Zombies mode. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's weird. I'm not that interested in Battle Royale mode that that has. Right. That's, um, that's their, their third pillar instead. And, you know, Black Ops 3, I also didn't spend much time with the straight multiplayer because, again, that's a game where you get shot the second you spawn in and you don't know what happened. Right. Um, I know it. No. Uh, you know, if you asked me at the time, and we'd done this show in 2015, yeah, it would have been Life is Strange, and I still think that's a very strong contender. It's my number two. But yeah, retrospectively, just in terms of games that I got so obsessed with and played so much, Black Ops 3, surprisingly, in a franchise I don't really care about, um, that's why Black Ops 4 was the game we were looking forward to, because Treyarch was the developer that had made that game, and I'm sure Black Ops 4 is great, and I would like to play it, but uh, the, the lack of campaign is a bummer. But it, it uh, is, Black Ops 3 is fantastic. It is. Well, hey, man, I was definitely surprised by that. I was not expecting that pick. <laughs> that's uh, that's 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 different. That is certainly different. For a game of the year to come from the Call of Duty franchise on our show is um, definitely a new thing. Let's put it that way. That's new. Well, uh that won't be happening this year, so that'll be, you know, different. I'm, I'm excited for Game of the Year this year. All the games are coming out now, but I was, I was just – while I was making this list, I was looking. And there's there were a lot of interesting games this year that and, and ones that I'm still looking forward to that it – I'm almost already – like I've been thinking about it all year because I knew EDF was coming out. I'm almost just going to strike it from the list yeah. just because I'm like – I know – I mean like really I love that so game. late. That like you know is it really going to be fair like because it, it it's just you almost can call it your honorable best game of the year and then like have another game of the year or something. I mean you know I, it's inherently going to be like my favorite game of all time so that kind of <laughs> you know another Jordan asked game man. Um, it's I mean look I have a weird top t- like five games of all time where four of them are very surprisingly anime inspired but also super heavy on story and then you have EDF. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, hey, that was that was fun and really instructive. Um, I was not expecting so much of our take on 2015 to be so different, you know, in in the uh, you know, with the benefit of retrospect and also with the benefit of playing your backlog. Um, so this is definitely something we're going to have to do again um, for 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 years or, or for something, you know, some some look back like this, because I mean, it just it's totally different. It just is. No, definitely. 
Um, but you know, on that note, uh, what are you going to be playing in <sighs> so the future? I, I have um, a couple things. I've um, been playing more yokai when I'm off on my own. Um, but game wise, I'm going to finish up Odyssey and I'm going to play Red Dead Two. And of course, I'm going to pick up Pokemon when it comes out on Switch. Um, I'm going to, um, which may make yokai go to the wayside when that happens but we'll see how good it is um and and, you know everything else that's coming out what else is coming out in the next couple weeks that's big fallout i won't play but that's just me i know you're gonna pick that one up like day one right it's it's hard i mean there's four games next week hitman 2 spyro pokemon fallout yeah uh i want to wait for the review well hitman's getting good reviews so i'm happy about that okay okay yeah uh, it's I, I saw a lukewarm one on ign it was like 7.8 or something they were just like essentially well you know it is what you think it's no i mean be. a lot of the reviews are like it's more of hitman from two years ago and i'm like well that's not surprising since they were originally making it a season two right so i'm right. not supp- like i want more hitman give me give me more of the same with a few new features i'm happy oh, that's what you're getting and that's cool um, but yeah, no, those are the ones I'll be playing. I'm going to finish Grim Fandango. I'm really enjoying that. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. Those are, those are the big ones. I want you to play some Red Dead, man. I want you to. I want to be able to talk about that at some <laughs> point, at some point. Anyway, without any further ado, uh, where can they find us? And you. You can find us at thejoyofgaming.com, thejoyofgeek.net for written material, Facebook, The Joy of Geek, Joy of Gaming, at The Joy of Game on Twitter, and you can find me personally at uh, jordanalseka.tumblr.com, facebook.com slash writer and Indigo Master on Twitter, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R. You can find me um, at Rich Lepore on Twitter. I was going to say you can find you at uh, NC Comic Con, but I guess that's that's probably a little going to be gone by the time this yeah, goes Yeah, yeah, we will have gone to NC Comic Con um, before this uh, <laughs> um episode goes up but um you can uh you can retrospectively because that's the theme of this episode wish us luck all right um yeah we're gonna be doing a couple panels there but um they'll probably go up on the joy of geek side we're gonna be um uh doing doing some we're gonna do our podcasting panel that we also do and we also are are hosting a a future quest panel um that uh with jeff parker um that is going to be pretty neat so we'll try to get those recorded and up um but aside from that um more joy of gaming more joy of geek coming up and um man Cool episode. Cool, cool episode. Hey, man, talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye.